Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. If you're a team that can play defense and you can pitch, you're going to be in good spot. And when you got Molina behind the plate and you got Arnado playing third base and Paul DeYoung playing shortstop and Goldschmidt at first base, uh, you know, Harrison Bader in center field, you got a great defensive team. And it's cool to see Jack Flaherty, I think, uh, you know, becoming the, the pitcher we all, you know, expected that he would become. That was Buster only mid-season when, you know, Jack Flaherty was still pitching. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals' defense was their strength this season, and we saw that uh, the the bountiful harvest that came from it, both during the 17-game winning streak and also after the season, as the Cardinals were awarded five gold gloves, the first team to ever accomplish that. So, Alex, yesterday... They were breaking down on MLB Network uh, what it meant for the Cardinals to be able to accomplish a feat that has literally never been done before in the history of the sport. And John Smoltz was asked about it as a former pitcher and how important it is to have a defense behind you like that. I thought his breakdown of it was really interesting. Here's what he had to say yesterday on MLB Network. I've always thought that with the shift in analytics, they were hiding for the fact that pitchers couldn't throw the ball where they wanted to, but they could throw the ball with massive velocity and spin rate. And you're kind of hiding the fact that when pitchers can't hit their spots and hitters have one-way approach, the shift has worked. But now when you get to an individual position and you look at the Cardinals and what they were able to do, it stands out because their pitching staff allowed them to defend the way they wanted to defend and showcase their defense. I think a lot of it has to do with the pitching staff. It starts there. And if you've got a really, really bad pitching staff, it's kind of hard to have a really, really good defense uh, kind of cover up for the fact that your pitchers can't throw the ball where they want to. I find that so interesting, man, on so many different levels. First of all, we saw that. We saw it in action the first half of the season when the Cardinals weren't throwing strikes. You weren't able to leverage the defense that was behind them. And then by the second half of the year, when you get Wade LeBlanc in there, you end up trading for Jay Happ and John Lester. Coming out of the bullpen, you've got McFarland and Luis Garcia. Suddenly, you saw the full potential of what that defense can do to you, or for you, rather. And Alex, this offseason, as we kind of project this thing forward, I think the lesson to be learned here is pretty simple. You don't necessarily need the best and the brightest pitchers but you need somebody that's going to be willing to throw strikes. So these guys that are out there on the open market that are just pure stuff players that don't necessarily hit the zone frequently, I can see why other teams would be interested in them. The upside there is exponential. But for the Cardinals, 
you just need guys that consistently throw strikes. And I know this isn't some breaking news, but when I heard that from Schmoltz yesterday, man, all I could do is think to myself, okay, well, that shows us exactly the bin, the 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 discount area that the Cardinals should be shopping in this offseason when it comes to their pitching. Yeah, the first thing I thought when, when Schmoltz said that was, okay, we'll go sign a bunch of Adam Wainwrights this offseason because that's essentially what Adam Wainwright was. He was a guy who pitched to contact knowing full and well that his defense behind him was going to make the play. And that's what made him so successful this year. It's what made him so successful last season. But then the other thing that I'm thinking of when he's saying that is, you know, part of me wonders if he's looking at it saying, maybe you don't need to go out there and sign that, that top defender at shortstop because you got this defense behind him. But more importantly, you just look at it and you say, okay, we'll just go get that impact bat. Because if you're going to add to your pitching pitching depth, you just get the impact bat and it doesn't have to just be at the shortstop position. It could be anywhere on the field for how good this defense is. But yeah, uh, overall, sign Adam Wainwright's this offseason. And I know it sounds impossible to do, but it might not be the worst thing in the world to sign John Lester or Jay Happ to another contract because they pitched to the way that gave the Cardinals the advantage. Yeah, move move away from what the kind of standard is in baseball now where it's, we like the strikeout. We want starters that can get 200 strikeouts in a year, 150-plus strikeouts in a year. We, we've talked about it. You know, the Cardinals, do you want to kind of flow with the trend of the way Major League Baseball is going, or do you want to try and be a trendsetter? And I think the Cardinals are starting to lean towards we want to be the trendsetter. We want to go get those guys that you're talking about, the Adam Wainwright kind of mold where it's, we're going to throw strikes. We we don't want we a strikeout's nice and there's times for it, but we want you to put the ball in play. We want you to try beating our Gold Glove defense, and that's the way the Cardinals seem to be approaching the offseason. And I'm kind of glad to be talking about someone that is moving away from the way baseball is. Slug, baby, slug. No, it's going to be all about defense, and let's see if they can build from that. Well, T-Bone, we let's talked not be about crazy it. here. Oh, it can be well, both. It can well, be both. We talked about it. It's run, baby, run. Run, baby, run. I don't have a good one speed, for Speed, athleticism, and defense. Man, speed, if there's baby, ever speed. a place that that can work it's right here right we've seen it um the cardinals history is built upon speed athleticism and playing fantastic defense behind guys that throw strikes would you believe alex that i've got a name for you who what, you- can matt duffy throw the ball now too <laughs> it's does, basically the pitching does, equivalent of matt does duffy. josh harrison get a pitch now no <laughs> but i would be interested in watching it he could though who is it bk watching it so the athletic, uh, I believe it was then, maybe it was Fangraphs. I don't remember where I got this from, but this was a write-up on one of the starting pitchers that are out there available right now. A sinker first pitcher, he will always live or die with his defense. And their sluggish infield last year for the team that he played for did him no favors in that regard. Nor is there anything in his profile to suggest there's a really another level to reach, barring a massive change in his velocity, his arsenal, or his approach. By this point, the starting pitcher is what he is, a mid-tier starter with very good control who will toss a gym every now and again. You can probably do better on this market, but you can also definitely do far worse. (laughs) All right, we're going mediocre, ladies and gentlemen. 100%. Let's go average for this Cardinals team. To get the wild card again, me. Uh, I want to win the division. Oh, this guy's gonna help you win the division no, next he's year, man. Not. What did it just say? You can do better. Because yeah, I want you to think that phrase and live off of that phrase. When, you, when they say you can do better, remember that that also means you can spend more. 
No. There's Those two guys. things are tied together. There's better guys on them. You know what I say to myself every morning when I wake up, BK? I said, last show was great, but BK and Ferrario, we can do better. Yeah, but normally and you that wake up happen. and say, well, we could also do far worse. That's true. Um, by the way, we haven't given the big reveal. This is Steven Matz. Steven Matz is the one that they said, Ooh. you could do better, Ooh. but you could also do far worse. Let I like me, it. Let me give you a, a few stats on, on a gentleman by the name of Steven Matz. Does he spell it with a V or a PH? V. What? Is that good or bad? I like him better. Steven with a V. Um, Steven Matz over the last four seasons, you can knock out the 2020 season. He was awful, but it was also the shortened year. He only threw 30 innings that season. And the other three years, Alex, the full seasons over the last four years, 150 innings, 4 ERA. 160 innings, 4-2 ERA. And then last year, 150 innings with a 3.8 ERA. He started 30, 30, and 29 uh, games those three years. I'm here for it. Want me to uh, tickle your fancy? Please. I can give you his projections for this year as well. Oh, baby. 10 and 8, 142 innings, 4.37 ERA. I'd sign up for that. You here for it, Alex? No. I actually think you could get better than that, though, because they're projecting for in a vacuum versus the Cardinals being the defense that's behind him. I bet you you get 160 innings and a sub 4 ERA. You know who this sounds like? This sounds like Mike Leak. And I'm not getting in on this again. But you didn't have this defense with Mike Leak. If Mike Leak was here with this defense, Mike Leak would have been perfectly fine. Now, you overpaid for him. What you spent on Mike Leak, that was an astronomical deal that would not happen in today's game. It's changed. But... If you, if you signed this year's version of Mike Leak, I'd be here for it, man. Throw strikes, get ground ball contact, and you've got the best defense in the sport behind him. I just don't think I'm going for this route. I think that if I'm going to spend whatever these projections are, I'm looking at these right now, three years, 40 mil, two years, 25, three years, 27. I think so around $10 million per year over a two to three there's somebody out deal. there that's better than Steven Matz that you might have to pay a couple million dollars more a year that could benefit your team more. I think if this is the winning window, I think Steven Matz is settling. I think there's somebody out there that makes you a more clear-cut favorite in the NL Central than Steven Matz. Oh, definitely. Max Scherzer. Like, let's no, go get Max Scherzer, No, we're not right? doing Max Scherzer. Do that? That's too much money. I See, I think Matz is, is sort of settling, but I think it's a good settle because he's like John Lester – or Jay Happ a little bit better. Yep. And, and that's why I view well, it why as... Why not sign John Lester or Jay Happ then? They're going to be a million or two dollars. Better, cheaper, and, and younger. younger. Yeah, and that's the big one for me is he's younger and better. This is a guy that was a top 15 prospect back in 2016. I I, I really like Steven Mance. I liked when he was coming up when he was in the Mets organization. I think he's the perfect guy to put in, be your five guy. I would probably only do two years. I don't know if I'd go three. Two for ten, that's probably what I would sit at because then you've ten got him... Per, ten million dollars per year? Yeah, two, two per ten. Two by ten, so two twenty. It's basically two, what I'm two, looking at. Two today, <laughs> Junior. Sorry, I had to get uh, that in. That, that's what I look at. About two years, twenty million, and then you have him for in your rotation the year that Wayno uh, retires after this year, and then he kind of follows up. He's add him in with Libertor in your rotation next year when Wayno's gone. I think that's the perfect rotation for the Cardinals. Perfect two year deal. It's it's kind of on the cheaper end, but he's a guy that is going to benefit from playing here in St. Louis. Would you go two and twenty five? Because you're probably going to have to spend more on the on the salary if you go two years than if you go three, and that's that's the give and take, right? We talk about this with the Blues a lot where 
you get some of these guys for a cheaper salary because you give them more years. Tory Krug was that way. I think it was probably the same thing uh, with Braden Shin as well. Same thing was true for Colton Pareko. You you bring down the average salary by taking up the year. So would you be willing to go a little bit more on the salary for a guy like Steven Matz to take it to two years instead of three? <sighs> that I don't think so. I think he sits about $10 million. If he says, you know what, if you want only a two-year deal, then I want... 24. 24. No, sorry. Okay, I'll go find another guy that'll throw strikes because there's plenty of them. Yeah, he's he's a sub-10 million guy for me. Like, if I can get him for less than 10 mil, I'm in. But if it's more than that, there's somebody on the market that can be better for me that's going to cost the, around that amount. The reason why I find him so interesting is because he does all of the things that we just talked about that we heard about there from uh, John Smoltz. He is a guy that uses his defense behind him. He consistently throws strikes. He has one of the lower walk rates in the sport. Um, I looked on Baseball Savant last night, and they do the, the comparable players to him. This is the list of the top three most comparable pitchers to what we have seen last year from Steven Matz. Adam Wainwright. I like your comp. Marco Gonzalez and Juan Nicasio. What is the do those three guys have anything in common? Can you think of a through line between Adam Wainwright, Marco Gonzalez, and Juan Nicasio? I'm just really wondering. One of these things is not like the other. Why the hell is Adam Wainwright in this conversation with these oh, other that's two? that's the one that you... I'm yeah, pulling Juan, Juan Nicasio from that one. He's a reliever. <laughs> he threw hard. I'm assuming they both, all three, throw strikes and get They all balls. pitch in Major League Baseball. They all played for the Cardinals at one point. Oh, that's your comp? Juan Nicasio was here for the second half of 2017. They identified him as a guy who would make sense for them. They were looking a little bit. Adam no, Wainwright was data has been here his entire career. And Marco Gonzalez spent the, the early portions of his career here in St. Louis. He is a sinker baller. And that is what the Cardinals changed their mindset on in the second half of the year. You look at Luis Garcia. What changed for him? Started throwing the sinker more. He was a four-seam guy. The Cardinals brought him in. Boom, let's go to that heavy sinker. Uh, you look at what they have done with a lot of their staff last year. With guys like Lester and Hap, they're bringing back the sinker. What is old is new again for this team in so many different ways. That was their philosophy pitching-wise in the early 2010s. They're getting back to that now. And the reason is because from like 04 even maybe a little before then all the way to like 2013 their defense was spectacular and then it got awry there for a while from like 2016 to 2019 ish cardinals were not very good defensively they're back to it they've got that defense back so you're able to use those sinker ballers that's why they signed mike leak at the time but the problem was they didn't have the defense behind him to make that work now you do again so whether it be steven matz i'm just throwing him out there as an option or somebody similar to him that is the style of pitcher that the cardinals should be looking to acquire this offseason that is the market that i would be looking to exploit because other teams don't value these pitchers the way the cardinals do so you're getting them at a discounted rate for the numbers they can produce here just like the Jay Happ and John Lester trades at the deadline, nobody else valued those guys. Nobody did. You got them for basically nothing. John Gant was traded for Jay Happ, and then he was cut, basically. He is now a non-tender free agent for the Twins. You got him for nothing. That's what you need to do again. Go find that guy that you can get more out of than the rest of the sport. And so that $10 million, $12 million a year contract... It's going to look like pennies once they get to St. Louis because of the results that they're able to give you here. 
With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, oh, our guy Keith Law is going to join the show. He wrote about the top free agents across the sport. We'll get to him coming up at 1130. But coming up next, it's my favorite time of the week. It's a Ferrario 5 with the five most indispensable blues because, man, they are dropping like flies right now. we got to talk about who's the most indispensable blues player next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The Blues are back in action tonight against the Jets. Alex will have your pregame coverage coming up tonight at 6 o'clock. The Blues are going to be without, once again, Braden Shin tonight, we would anticipate. Uh, they also have multiple COVID cases that they are dealing with at the time, including Ville Husso and Tori Krug. Who else am I missing, Alex? That's Me, on the Nico list Mikola. Now. And Nico Mikola as well. So they're going to be without some guys tonight, and this has been the theme over the last five or six games for them. Uh, uh, they've had a lot of players that have been out of in and out of the lineup with COVID cases, with injuries. And this feels like a moment to me in which we can turn to Alex to find out who the five most indispensable blues players are, Alex. Oh, I feel an argument coming in this one, especially, especially for who's not on this list. T-Bone hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario Five, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. I'm not even going to do honorable mentions on this one because there's too many to list. Fair. I have five guys, and that's it. BK, try and keep it... Uh, Try and keep it contained on my list today, okay? okay. Try not to yeah, interrupt. BK. I'll let you speak after each one. You, you too, T-Bone. You just tell me when you want me to speak, okay. and I will do I'll it. I'll point to you. Number is... five on this list, boys, David Perron. Perron. Now, he's intertwined with somebody else on this list, and I think you can guess who, but look at Villa what. Husa? Yeah, yeah, those two, exactly. French-Canadian and Finland. That's how they're connected. Perron. Love that guy, though. Perron is a massive piece of this team's even strength goal scoring and frankly their power play, but even strength is the bigger concern for me. And look at what this team has been without his centerman. He has not scored goals. He's just been picking up points on the assist factor and we've kind of seen the way that this team has performed. But go back to last year against the Colorado Avalanche when he was out with COVID. I mean, he's such an impactful player of how he plays on the forecheck. He's one of those guys, in my opinion, vocal in the locker room and what he does on the ice. Other guys see it and say, oh, I need to go do this as well. So David Perron was number five on this list. I like it. We can keep going. Good. I pointed at you on that one then. Number four on this list. This is where it gets interesting, boys. I did it. I did research on data last night. Ooh. Oscar Sundquist. Now, you might be thinking, Oscar Sundquist hasn't played since what? last season. Now, what day did you How find on him? the hell is <laughs> this guy on this list? Sonny is the fourth most indispensable blue? He is. Okay. He is. What do you think the Blues record has been since last year, since Oscar Sundquist was out of the lineup, including this season? Causation versus correlation, but let me let me hear it, my man. I don't know what that means. Six games over 500. When he's in? When he's out of the lineup. When That's he's pretty in, good. if you go back to the 18-19 season, the 19-20 season, last season, this team, let me do quick math on this one because I put this down last night and it was not good. 82 and 45 
and 16. 82, 45, and 16 with him in the lineup. It's very good. This is a really good team when Oscar Sundquist is in the lineup. That's a team stat. Dave, it is a team stat. They've had to overcome a lot with him being out of the lineup going back to last season. But think about it. When he went down, that was where the Blues kind of would go hot. They'd go cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. This season, they played really well without Oscar Sundquist up until other guys started to exit the lineup. And then you started to see the drop off. I'm just trying to think who's not going to make this list based on who's at number four right now. I thought Because I feel like I've got more than three that should I be thought, still on I this list. I thought people would love the Oscar Sundquist one, but you can't deny statistics, boys. That's data. Number three. So let me let me just to to increase the suspense for those of you listening at home. So far, we have not named Ryan O'Reilly. We have not named Justin Falk. We have not named Colton Pareko. We have not named Jordan Bennington. Or Billy Huso. Or did Billy I mention Huso. Shin? Nope, you did mention Shin. So those five have not been named yet, and we have three spots remaining on this list. I told you, boys, this isn't going to be a, okay, a fancy list go. for a lot of people. But guess what? It's the Ferrario five. When you get a five, you can be a part of this, that T-Bone. Joke's on you. I get a T-Bone. 10. Number three, Ryan O'Reilly. El Capitan. He's number three on this list. Uh, the Blues still were able to pull out victories. And look, this is the only taste of no Ryan O'Reilly we've gotten in his entire career, which I think says a lot. But I think the reason we've had some sloppy play, for lack of a better word, over this time that he's been out of the lineup has been because of Ryan O'Reilly. I think he settles things down. He takes a lot of pressure off other guys who have to step up in a big situation. And frankly, he intertwines with David Perron. Because when you don't have O'Reilly and Perron, you don't have that that legitimate scoring factor. This is going to be a weird comp, so bear with me, but it reminds me of when Harrison Bader was out of the lineup for the Cardinals, not because Bader is as good good for the Cardinals as O'Reilly is for the Blues. That is not the case. But you get worse at two positions when Bader is out. You get worse in center field because that is where Dylan Carlson had to go. You get worse in right field because that's where Tommy Edmond goes. It's actually three spots. And at second base, you get worse because Tommy Edmond's not there any longer. That kind of reminds me of what's going on with O'Reilly because he does so many things well that you're missing him in like 17 different areas on the ice. And it's almost impossible to replace what he brings. Yeah. And so that is why Ryan O'Reilly is the Blues version of Harrison. Dama on the athletic. uh, He had a list out about most dangerous lines in the NHL. And surprisingly, he doesn't have a blues line on that list. But. Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron are one of the dangerous duos on this Blues, this Blues team. And if you could find that one piece to go with them, they can make a dangerous line, which is why I want to see more of Sad O'Reilly Perron. I know we got to go quick because we don't want to keep Keith Law waiting. Number two on this list, Colton Pareko. We saw last year what the effect is of no Colton Pareko, and we're seeing this year what the effect of Colton Pareko in the lineup is. He makes everyone else better. Absolutely. And I understand that you want Justin Falk on there and Tori Krug on there, but look, though you can find a way to replace those guys. You can't replace a six foot six dude who skates probably one of the best defensemen on your team. So Colton Pareko obviously had to be number two. And drum roll, please. Jordan Biddington, number one. Of course, I picked Jordan Bennington. Who could have saw that He's one coming? Job it's to the correct so. answer. Look, the save percentage, it's top 10 in the National Hockey League. Goals against this season, I think, especially with all of these COVID lists where you're seeing guys out of the lineup, he has saved the Blues bacon way too many times. If you take him out of the lineup, this Blues team is not a playoff contending team. No, that that's the correct one. Bennington, I we can argue on the rest of the list. If you've got yeah. a good goalie, he's number one on your most indispensable players yeah. because the drop-off from that to whoever is coming in afterwards, it's just it's too large and you lose any chance of really competing at a high level if right. you miss him. 
So Bennington at number one, I'm totally with you. I think Pareko is a strong number two. I think you could argue Pareko O'Reilly, but I think for me, that would be my two, three in some order. Mm-hmm. After that is where it gets really interesting. I don't think I can have Shin that low. For, for me, I think Braden Shin at a minimum has to be on this list. I would maybe even have him at number four right now. I think you can make a strong argument for it. I like your argument for Sonny. He is the Swiss Army knife that this team really does need. And I remember last year, right before he ended up going uh, on IR, he was helping them on the power play. Yeah, He became the guy that was going to the front of the net. And this year, how many times have we sat over the last two weeks? They're not going to the front of the net again. Mm-hmm. Sonny's a guy that will just consistently do it. He is yeah. not afraid of going to the front of the net. So credit where it's due, he definitely deserves to be, if not on this list in the top five, he'd be on my honorable mention list. Uh, and I love David Perron being on here as well. We saw in the postseason last year you just how much of a drop-off it is without having him out there, both for the power play and for what he brings uh, with the chemistry that he has with Ryan O'Reilly. So I would probably just switch out Sonny for Shin, but otherwise I think it's a pretty good list, man. All right, I like it. T-Bone, any uh, thoughts, comments? I just can't believe Huso didn't make okay. it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax Line. Questions and answers in 15 minutes or so. But next, Keith Law is going to join the show. He's a baseball writer for The Athletic. He wrote up the top 50 free agents. Who does he think is the best fit for the Cardinals? We'll ask him next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. We've been talking a lot about what the Cardinals could do this offseason, where they can improve the most. And one of the best in the business is Keith Law, who writes about baseball over at The Athletic. And he wrote up the 50 best MLB free agents for this offseason. He's joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Keith, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing this morning? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So I wanted to start kind of big picture with you because we have seen a few signings in recent days at the general manager's meetings or while they're taking place. Do you think we're going to see a flurry of signings over the next few weeks before there's that potential roster freeze when the CBA expires? My guess is we'll see some smaller signings because everything we've seen has been pretty small potatoes so mm-hmm. far. Um, at least one guy off my top 50, Andrew Heaney, actually changed teams. I think the rest have been mostly, like like I said, smaller moves, re-signings, a couple of little trades. Maybe we'll see one uh, preemptive strike. Like uh, I think back to when Alex Anthopoulos a couple years ago signed Josh Donaldson to a one-year deal before we got to Thanksgiving. It was just get in quick. We want this guy one year. It was 20-something million dollars. And that was it. We might see one or two like that. The big names here, my guess, sign after the lockout is resolved after we have a new CBA. Not that the CBA itself determines it, but my guess is owners will say, we want to make sure we're going to play a full season before we start committing full season dollars to any of the premium guys. Keith, speaking of that one-year deal, we've had this conversation because it's been put out on the national side of, of a possibility of a player like Trevor Story signing a one-year kind of prove-it deal after his time in Colorado. Could you see that as a possibility for, for him with the knowledge of knowing how big the shortstop market is? It is a big shortstop market. For folks who haven't seen my top 50, it is it overstuffed. With shortstops, and I'd say shortstops and second basemen who could potentially be shortstops, like Marcus Semyon, who is a very good shortstop, but played second base and was elite there this past year for Toronto. I'd be surprised if Story had to do that. There are a lot of players on my list who I suggested would do well to 
go do those one year kind of make good contracts or so, uh, Scott Boris has referred to them as pillow deals. You land softly somewhere for a year, go have a huge season, then go back out into a weaker free agent market a year from now without the CBA uncertainty and sign the long term deal. I don't know that Story's that guy. I think Story's reputation within the game among front offices is strong enough that people would be willing to go multiple years with him. Also, they're going to look to the example of DJ LeMayhew, a guy whose offense was not really expected to survive outside of Colorado, who went to the Yankees and had two pretty good seasons there before this past year when he finally started to come back down to earth. But I think he is the latest in, a, in the line of guys who've left Colorado and performed reasonably well offensively. That would make enough teams say, yeah, we'll, we'll do this with story. We believe he can play shortstop. He definitely has power. Um, I think he's going to be worse offensively outside of Colorado, but good enough that someone gives him three or four years. Is he the guy that makes the most sense for the Cardinals, Keith? Cause I, I mean, Correa and Seager obviously are both awesome players, but this team very mm-hmm. rarely goes the eight to 10 year route. And both of them seem like prime candidates to do so. If they're not going to be swimming in those waters is, is Trevor story, the best option for them to improve at shortstop? I don't think so. I'm probably more bearish on story than most, because I think that his, offensive skill set is one that like, I don't think he's going to fall to pieces outside of Colorado. He's going to be a pretty low on base percentage guy. I think away from Colorado, I think the power transfers. And I don't know that he's as good a defensive player as his reputation or as defensive metrics before this last season really indicated. And my guess is if the Cardinals are going to go out and invest in a shortstop, it's going to be someone who can really no doubt play the position. I'd be really curious to see if they'd be interested in Javi Baez, who I think is one of the more fascinating players on the market, because Cardinals also just have a reputation, well-deserved, as a great player development organization. Now, Baez isn't a kid or a prospect, but he is also not really fully developed. There's absolutely room for improvement in his offensive game. I think defensively, he brings a ton to the club in terms of range, arm, baseball IQ. He is the best at tagging players that maybe I've ever seen, but you can definitely get something more out of him. Someone can get something more out of him at the plate. And if I were the Cardinals, I might be, I would be asking that question internally. Are we that club? Do we believe we have the skill set in our coaching staff and our R&D staff to work with a player like that and get him to be even a little bit more selective at the plate, which makes him an MVP candidate. You know, the one thing for me, Keith, that's interesting about this offseason is Cardinals fans have talked a lot about fixing the shortstop market. But the the more important one for me, I think, is just getting that impact bat. Does it have to be Mm -hmm. a shortstop, in your opinion? Could it be a Nick Castellanos or a Kyle Schwarber that the Cardinals solution becomes? I think it would be a mistake, a mistake to say it has to be the shortstop, right? Those do not have to be the same player, which I think is essentially what you're asking, that that it does not make sense to say, we need an impact bat, we need a shortstop. Okay, that's one player. Well, yeah, if you're, look, if you're willing to give Carlos Correa $300 million, yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Good good talk, right? That's, <laughs> and, and would he be a great solution for the Cardinals? Of course he would. So would Seager. But would it make more sense for them to say, Actually, if you're in the Cardinals situation, I'm going to restart my sentence there. The best thing for the Cardinals to do is say, we're going to do one of those two things in free agency. We don't actually care which one it is. We get the impact bat, we get the impact shortstop, meaning somebody who's, who's providing more on defense but maybe less at the plate. And the other one, the other gap, the other hole in our, our uh, lineup, we're going to solve some other way via trade, via internal solutions. 
and see what the market gives you. Because of the glut of shortstops, going back to what you said at the, at the beginning, maybe one of those guys falls a little bit through the cracks, so to speak, and becomes more affordable for the Cardinals. Maybe not. Maybe it's that the market looks at all the Castellanos and Schwarber and uh, other types who are, you know, sort of mediocre corner outfielders, maybe better off at first base, but can really hit. Maybe you get one of those guys kind of cheaper, and then you can use other assets to go solve the shortstop problem because they do have, they still have players to trade. They still have some depth at certain spots um, in the upper levels of their system that I think they could get creative on the trade market, and they generally do. This is an organization that's not afraid to trade prospects or younger players. So I could see them saying, we sell one through free agency, we sell one through trade, and still coming out at a, at a place where Cardinals fans should be happy. Speaking of uh, finding that left-handed bat and a, a bat that can help them, um, Keith, and we're talking to Keith Law, baseball writer for The Athletic, uh, we've talked a lot about finding somebody that can maybe lead off for them because this team just doesn't have a ton of options for that spot right now. The high on-base percentage in particular against right-handed pitching. They've got a lot of options against lefties, but not against righties. We've talked about Duffy. We've talked about Josh Harrison. Are there any other guys on the market that you think could be interesting? Maybe either the the fourth outfielder type who can platoon and, and lead off against right-handed pitching or middle infielders that could be of interest for this team in particular. I mean, the guy who jumps out at me and another guy who I think would be a perfect Cardinals target with one big caveat would be or have been Michael Conforto because he is a very patient hitter. He is a high on base percentage guy. Typically he's been kind of banged up and he's just coming off of a down year where I thought, I think there's a lot of flukiness in that. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. I think there was some bad, some, just some bad luck on balls in play and some minor injury things that held him back. He's a perfect, another one of those one year, you know, rehab or pillow contract type of guys. The Mets made him a qualifying offer. Yeah. So there's going to be draft pick compensation attached. That kind of stinks for him. And maybe he just takes it. I might actually, if I were his agent, um, I'm not, as it turns out. But <laughs> if I were his agent, I might actually say, you know what, just take it. You're probably not going to get more than that on a one-year deal. And then once you take a qualifying offer, you can't receive one the following year. So he could go back out into free agency next winter off of what I widely expect to be a better season and not have the draft pick attached. So not to bring up a guy who's probably forbidden fruit, but he, he really fits what you're talking about. And if for any reason he rejects the offer, the Cardinals should at least look into it and see if they're willing to give up that draft pick because he is very much that kind of player. Keith, final one from me. We, we've heard a lot of people say that the Cardinals' primary um, – Thing they should be focusing on this offseason is pitching and fixing this are are strengthening the rotation for this team is there a starter pitcher with the exception of Max Scherzer because I don't think the Cardinals are diving into 50 million dollars a year waters but is there a pitcher mm-hmm. that matches the Cardinals need for this upcoming season I mean I would love to see this happen it's probably not going to it's my number one starter on my free agent uh, rankings is Marcus Stroman. And I assume you guys remember the story. They almost drafted him. They were going to draft him and the Blue Jays picked their pockets. I think it was exactly one pick ahead. The Cardinals were, as the story goes, had the magnet in their hand to take Stroman and the Blue Jays took him and they ended up having to kind of scramble and took the, uh, the senior outfielder, James Ramsey in that spot instead. I hope I have all my details right on that. It would be really fascinating if he kind of came back, right? Everything came back full circle and they ended up with him. And there's a lot of things about him that scream Cardinals starter to me. Uh, and I just, I have him ranked first because I 100% believe Stroman will hold his value over the course of a four or five year contract. 
I wonder if Stroman is headed for a larger market than that because he is. Even if you don't think he's the absolute best on this market, he's one of the best two or three. I just think he would he would check pretty much every box that the Cardinals are looking for. It just seems more likely, given their um, you know, relative cons- relatively conservative approach to free agent starters, they'll probably look more at the second tier, of which there are quite a few guys. There are a lot of decent starters. You know, league average starters are better available on this market, and I think they'll find – Someone, I, you know, what it might be more of the guys who are taking the two to three year deals at the lower AAV than the Marcus Stroman's and certainly than the Max Scherzer's where that market is slightly terrifying. And I say that as someone who will vote for Max Scherzer for the Hall of Fame as soon as he's on the ballot. But, oh, my God, am I not? I'm not paying Max Scherzer to be Hall of Fame Max Scherzer, right? He's not that guy right now. We're, none of us are what we used to be. Yeah, I, we've talked a lot about him, given the St. Louis connection there, of course. Sure. But if you're going to do the $40 million, I just I, there's better yeah. ways for this team to spend that kind of money. I did want to ask you a little bit of a follow-up, because you mentioned that mid-tier starting yeah. market. We've talked a lot about it, as you can imagine. The John Gray, Anthony DiSclafani, Stephen Matz. How do those guys, yeah. Keith, in your mind, compare with some of the potential trade targets that are out there? There was the uh, rumor that emerged yesterday. I don't know how much truth there is to it, but that the Mar- Marlins would be potentially potentially willing to consider trading from their pitching surplus. Uh, a guy like Jorge Lopez might make some sense for this team. And then the A's, if they decide to go through another reset, uh, looking out there at Sean Manaya also makes a lot of sense for this team. How do those free agents compare in your mind with some of the potential trade options that could be available? Manaya is a great fit. I'm glad you threw that name out there. Um, it wouldn't have come to mind immediately, but yes, he would be an ideal fit for a lot of reasons. He does have a pretty checkered health history. He's had not just elbow, but shoulder trouble um, and a hip injury that was the reason he fell pretty much out of the first round to the Royals, oh, God, umpteen years ago now. Um, But I like him. When he's healthy, he's good. I would absolutely want to have him. John Gray, to me, is another one. Like I'm trying to, you know, you're hearing a consistent theme in my answers, is that I believe the Cardinals have the ability, have the core competence to take players who've underperformed relative to their ability or their ceilings elsewhere and make them better. I think the Cardinals have done that quite a bit. You know, people talk about Cardinals devil magic and maybe maybe Satan is involved, but it's probably (laughs) just player development. And John Gray is one of the best examples. The Rockies mishandled him several times, changed his delivery, changed it back. His stuff was maybe never an ideal fit for Colorado. Regardless, they didn't do him a lot of favors. Then they didn't make him a qualifying offer, which is shocking to me, especially because he might've just accepted it and they need some pitching. Would I love to get John Gray on a one, two-year deal? I might even give him three years if I really believed in my player development. But I would absolutely – it's the first guy they should be checking in on to say, we want you. We think we can fix these things. Obviously, you don't have to pitch at altitude anymore. Come here. Reestablish yourself. If you want to do a shorter-duration deal, one or two years, so you can go back out on the market next winter, fine. We are happy to be your landing spot on a temporary basis. And he would be at the top of that list. I like Di Scalfani. I like Matt. Matt is another good when healthy guy. But Gray, to me, is the most intriguing, I think, has the highest upside of that whole class of players in free agency or in trade. He's Keith Flaw, like I said, one of the best in the business. You can read his full write-up. It is comprehensive. It is very good, worth your time over at The Athletic. The 50 best MLB free agents for this offseason. It starts with Car- Carlos Correa, and then it continues from there. Also, you can follow him on Twitter, at Keith Law. Keith, we always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll talk with you again soon. My pleasure, guys. You got it. That's Keith Law joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, there were a million different things that are worth reacting to from that interview. I want to start with talking about his his idea of maybe a Javi Baez. Javi Baez I rather. do, too, because I, 
I might be crazy here, but I actually don't mind the idea. Let's talk about it. That's coming up next and some questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 5780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you missed it, we just talked with Keith Law. We will be joined by Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 1230 and Kylie McDaniel of ESPN at 1 o'clock. But Keith made an interesting suggestion. Said, you know, a guy that I have thought about as a potential candidate for the Cardinals is Javi Baez. Now, Baez strikes out a lot. He strikes out about... 30% of the time, and last year was actually even higher than that. It was closer to 34% of the time. That's Tyler O'Neill levels of strikeouts. He also doesn't walk a whole lot. He walks about 5% of the time. It's one of the lowest rates in the sport. So he is swinging freely from the moment that he walks up to the plate. He also hit 299 with the Mets last year. He's hit around 270 for the majority of his career. He has a really high slugging percentage and he plays legitimate gold glove caliber defense at shortstop. Do you guys have interest in Javi Baez? If he, instead of Trevor story, if it's Javi Baez, who ends up on that one year pillow deal that Keith law called it, would he be of interest to you? And I don't know. I still don't like the idea of a one year deal. I, I really don't. It bothers me. Like it, my insides hurt because of it. But I don't know where this is coming from. Maybe it's the IBS. I'm not sure what it, might it is. Be. I, I did have a, an extra large coffee this morning. So, but I, I don't hate the idea of Javier Baez. And I know I might sound crazy with this, but hear me out. I don't think you're crazy at all. Yes, he is a strikeout machine. But if you can get the former Javier Baez, the one that was an MVP, the one that was so good with the Chicago Cubs. He's called the magic man for a reason for how good defensively he is. How he makes the ball disappear. Probably. He can't hit it. Well, he's like John Gant, Harry Houdini it. style. But if there's one team that could get him back to that, I think it's the Cardinals. Ah, because you trust Jeff Albert. No, not because I trust Jeff Ugh. Albert. Ah, because of Ali Marmol. <laughs> no, not because of Ali Marmol. But because of Yadier Molina, both played on the uh, Dominic or the Puerto Rican national yep. team. Very good friends. I-, I think if you can get a guy to buy into a system, it would be Javier Baez. And, and honestly, I don't think anybody would want to touch him with a 10 foot pole right now because of what happened to the New York Mets. But I think if you're the Cardinals, you're thinking, you know what? We could get something out of this. How would you guys feel about Paul DeYoung back in 2000 and what year was that? 17. His first year that he came up when he hit 25 home runs and finished the year batting 285 with a 530 slugging percentage. Did you like that version of Paul DeYoung? Felt pretty good about that one. Yeah. Playing pretty good defense mm-hmm. out there. What if I told you that over the last five years that's basically been what Javi Baez is on a consistent year-to-year basis. What you got in year one out of Paul DeYoung has been the average season over the last five years from Javi Baez. Does that interest you? Does I don't that, want Javi Baez. Does it change the way that you view him at all? You don't want Javi, Javi I don't, Baez? I don't want to touch Javi Baez with that 10-foot pole that you're mentioning. It, it, it depends on what the contract looks like because if we're talking $20 million for you this are. guy, I'm not. I'm out on that then. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's going to get that from somebody. I don't. I don't just, want him if he's one year, ten million dollars. He was. He was offered the QO, wasn't he? Yeah, and uh, that's yeah. eighteen point four. So there would no, be no, no, no. He, he was not offered because he can't. Because oh, because he was traded. traded. That's oh. right. He would have been though. Had he been eligible for it, he would have been. If you could get him, that cheaper, actually makes him even more interesting to me because now you don't have to have the comp pick. That's if you could get him it. cheaper than Trevor Story, 
or Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, those guys, I'm in on it. So here's a question for you. Let, let's frame it that way. That's a good way to look at it. This if or I, that. Basically, if I tell you that you can get Trevor Story at a five-year, $125 million contract, so you're getting him at $25 million per season, or you can get Javi Baez on a one-year deal oh, for $20 million, and he's, to me. he's here with uh, Yadier Molina for the last year of Yadi's career, which one of those would you rather can have? Can we talk two? Baez, can we do year. two years, 40 mil? I don't know that he would do that because now you're looking at him hitting the market again at age 30, which if I'm yeah. his representation, I don't want to do that. But maybe you could do like a one, a two, a one year deal with a mutual option in year maybe two. That, if it's that, yes, I'm doing that instead of Trevor Story because it's cheaper than Trevor Story. And again, I'm just going off of the fact of what if you could untap that potential that he just couldn't get back from this last couple of years with the Chicago Cubs and with the New York Mets? What mm. if Yadier Molina is able to kind of untap that potential with this guy? And look, I do I, think he's somebody that plays better when he's in a race. Like, I, I think you get the best out of him when yeah. he's on a quality team. And he was on a crap team in Chicago I, the last I'm couple just, of years. I'm so torn with Trevor Story because everybody we talk to is like, ah, I'm out on him. Ah, yeah, he's going to be great. I'm so torn with that. And I understand Javier Baez is kind of in that same situation. But he's got an MVP in the past. He's won a World Series. You know what his best looks like. And maybe he's just been unable to get that because of the circumstances he's been in. I I would rather take Story on the five-year $125 million. It's a longer deal. I think Story projects better offensively moving forward. Javi Baez, and to me, you cannot have two guys that are built similar in terms of their strikeouts with Tyler O'Neill, Javi Baez. I expect Harrison Bader. Uh, he strikes out a lot. Out a lot. No, and you him. add Harrison, or Javi Baez into that mix, I just don't think it equals well. And his antics, I don't want to bring to St. Louis. Him thumbs downing New York fans, he's going to deal, feel the same pressure from New York fans as he will here in St. Louis. The Cardinals fan base is passionate. They're going to bring pressure on if he struggles. His strikeouts won't play well here. I just don't think Javi Baez is a fit for this team. I don't want to bring him in at all, even if it is just a one-year deal. Man. I'd rather have Story. I, I think he is a fascinating discussion. I don't know what he's going to end up getting. I have no idea because he is, as you just heard there from Tanner, I think there are a lot of Cardinals fans that are in that line of thinking. Oh, yeah. But also, this guy's really good. Like, he is incredibly talented. He does, he strikes out a ton. He never walks. And that's super frustrating to watch. But he hits the ball incredibly hard. He plays amazing defense. He is a incredible competitor. All of his teammates love him. Whether he was in New York or in Chicago, his teammates absolutely adore playing with him. Yadier Molina is one of his biggest champions. He does make some sense. And if he's the one that ends up following through, falling through the cracks, which I think is very possible, if you're telling me one-year deal for him or five for 125 for Story, I actually think I would prefer, I would prefer whoever gets the one-year deal out of those two. If you're telling me Javi or Trevor Story, I'll take the one that falls through the cracks. That being said, I don't know that the Cardinals are going to be willing to I, wait that long. And I also with that being said, I don't know if the Cardinals want to bring in a guy with his kind of persona because he's kind of got that swagger to him. See, I don't know. I think they're I starting don't to get, get that, that now. From the Cardinals. Harrison Bader, Edmundo Sosa. Starting to get that now uh, with we this did, team. We all liked Edmundo Sosa, right? The way yeah. that he played. That's Javier Baez. There's but some I similarities I there, has, man. I don't think he has the swag i think he has a swagger but not as much as Baez. Baez really carries it on the field definitely Bader does too but he doesn't carry it as much as Baez does in my Look, opinion here's Baez your, is like out there here's my thing with javier Baez. is he my number one option not at all but if they were to get him i would be very interested in 
not excited, but intrigued of what that could look like. Because the fact of he and Yachty's relationship, I think you might get the best of Javier Baez. Yeah. That might be one of the one-year deals that I might actually be on board Look with. Look at that. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes or so, what is Mike Schilt's legacy here in St. Louis? He was named one of the finalists for Manager of the Year in the National League yesterday. I want to talk about the number one thing that I think we can uh, appreciate him for as his time has come to an end. We'll do that at 12.15, but next, are the Blues too reliant on their power play right now? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. So the Blues have been outstanding so far this year on the power play. It's one of their real strengths as a team. But are they becoming too reliant, Alex, on that power play unit? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So far this season, if you're looking at the power play specifically for the Blues, they come. Lace them up. It's time to guess the lines with BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Okay, we will talk about the power power play play here in just a moment. Let's guess the power play lines. (laughs) Don't make me do that. That'll be fun. All right, it is time to guess the lines. It's a game day here on 101 ESPN, which means we are guessing where the players will be lined up tonight. Blues versus Jets pregame coverage with Alex coming up at six o'clock. Alex, there are a couple of interesting tidbits here that we need to discuss before we get into who's going to be playing where. Yeah, the one interesting tidbit is there's no healthy scratches in this one. It's pretty much the same forward group. So there's that. Braden Shin. Not expected to play once again. He's back in St. Louis getting an upper body injury evaluated. We don't know exactly what it is. Getting an upper body injury? Already already had getting evaluated. Uh, Oscar Sundquist technically eligible to return tonight. Have not seen any news yet on whether or not that will be the case, but that is something to keep in mind as we go through some of these. So, Alex, the top line, you agree, Saad, O'Reilly, Perron? Can we just go ahead and write that one in stone? Yeah, I think there are two lines that you can write in stone, and the first one is Saad, O'Reilly, and Perron. Show us that. Give us the ding. That's right. what I thought. That's what I the thought. The other line. one, the other one that I think is confirmed. I'm going to go down to the fourth line. Please. I think that stays Neil Neighbors and Tyler Bozak because they were really good um, the other night. So I think that one's confident. Yeah. Right, two for two. I think you can go three. I think Thomas, Cairo, and Tarasenko will be together. Is that what the, was that the line at the end of that game, or did they I move Barbashev up so. to it? I thought that was the case because I thought they broke up that Russian line of Barbashev, Costa- Thomas, and Tarasenko for starters. What? That's not a lie. Yeah. Well, here's here's my only hesitancy with that. I thought they broke up that Russian line the other night because they just weren't clicking. So, but I don't know who you would put on that wing with Thomas and Tarasenko because they're not breaking them up. And who's centering it? If Barbie's going to be up there with Thomas and Tarasenko, who's centering that? Well, third I'm not line? thinking Barbie. Like I'm wondering, does Costin get up there with Thomas and Tarasenko because oh, he had such a good game? Kairu and Costin. Uh, That's what I'm wondering. I think you keep Kairu with Thomas. I think, I think they want to see I what think that looks so, like. And for I think now. you keep Costin on that Russian line just to see if you could get something going with them because two nights ago against LA they were really good. So yeah, let's go with it. Kairu, Thomas, and Tarasenko. Yeah, there we go. that's what I'm talking about. And then that leaves Kostin, Barbashev, and Buchnevich as the your Russian third line, line tonight. 
He got it. All right, so your lines tonight. Brandon Saad, Ryan O'Reilly, and David Perron, as expected, is your top line. Kairu Ter- Thomas and Tarasenko will be paired together. You got Kostin, Barbashev, and Buchnevich in your fourth line going into this evening's game will be Neil Bozak and Neighbors. You know Those what are- that means? Time for the D pairings. No. Okay. okay, Pareko and Wallman, Scandella and Falk and Pareko and Wallman? Or Pareko That's and Scandella? What they had start the other night. Ooh. They had it start Pareko and Wallman, Scandella, Falk and Callie Rosen with Robert Bortuzzo. Do they switch that? This is a this is a pretty good offensive team, but you gotta spread the wealth here. I, I think they don't. I think it's Wallman Pareko, Scandella, Falk. Mm. Wow, they did switch it. Hockey guy BK over here. <laughs> they did. They did not look good. They did not look good. Walman and Falk really did not look good. So it's Scandella and Pareko, and then Walman and Falk, and Rosen and Bortuzzo. You know what Just that like means? I tried to tell you. Starting goaltender, ah, Jordan Biddington. I don't you, don't you long like, wow. pause me on that. I know Joel, Joel for starting another start. in, his, in his hometown of Winnipeg. That is way too much pressure. So let's get back to what we were about to talk about. Yeah, Are the Blues we too reliant on the power play oh, right now? Alex, we all know the power play has been outstanding for them, but the five on five has taken a step back in recent games. Now, some of that is just as simple as you didn't have Ryan O'Reilly and he's just now starting to get his sea legs back from underneath him. And Braden Shin has been out for the last couple of games as well. So, yeah, when you're missing in basically every game over the last two weeks, a top six centerman, it's going to make things more difficult at the five on five. How do they get that back? Because early in the season, they looked unstoppable in five on five. And over the last week or so, it's it's looked mortal. Well, and you got to get back to the style that they play. And I think the Blues have just been too hesitant to dump the puck into the zone and fight for it behind the goaltender, like along the boards. I think it's been more of it's what Tory Krug said after that Chicago Blackhawks game, where it just feels like it's easier right now to play on the outside and take shots. And I don't think they I don't think it's come down to the only reason they're not doing this at five on five is because they're confident they could score on the power play. But what I think this is, is I think there is a little bit of when we get our power play chance, we know we can take advantage of that. And that's a mindset that they didn't have last year. And before all of the injuries, even strength was the sole reason that the Blues were staying in hockey games. But I think the other reason why it's it's having a massive effect is because of the injuries that took a shot. If you go back and last look at the last couple of games against the Sharks and the Kings, the Blues have had to cut it down to two lines late in the hockey game. They've had to go down to their top two lines and basically sit those other two because they're just not getting the offensive push there. That's where the Blues have gotten away from that even strength and why they've been too reliant on the power play to win games because they don't have that four full line effect that you can force. And you might not have it for a while with Braden Shen, but that's what the Oscar Sundquist activation whenever that may be is intriguing because that provides you that four line scare tactic that the blues have once again i thought they had some good opportunities against anaheim now they didn't go in but costin had a couple that she thought maybe would go in uh tarasenko i thought had a few shots that were at least gave themselves a chance 
But if you just look at the overall results against the Blackhawks, zero even strength goals against the Kings, zero even strength goals. And then against Anaheim, one even strength goal. The only game in the last four where they've really had success at five on five was against the Sharks, where they outscored them three to one in five on five situations. It's just something that's got to get corrected. And so is this a massive uh, issue moving forward. I don't think so. I think they're going to be fine there. I think they still have had some opportunities and it's gotten better in the last couple of games in particular, where you're starting to see those chances increase. Once again, they just went through a little bit of a slump. And I do think that is almost directly tied to seeing Ryan O'Reilly, not out there on the ice. This is a big test for them. Winnipeg's a legitimately good team. Now there, if I'm understanding correctly, going through some COVID issues of their own. So I don't know specifically what their lineup will look like tonight, But you're about to go through a gauntlet of Winnipeg, Nashville, Carolina, Edmonton. Those four games, I think you probably want to see about two and two out of those four or two, one and one and one, something like that to be able to get yourself back on track, even without some of your uh, your players that are out right now. When do you think Sonny comes back? I guess that's the other question. I think Sonny comes back once they get a synopsis on Braden Shen. And the other thing is getting Ville Husso off of COVID list. And I believe he would be slated to come off Wednesday so he can start skating on Thursday. And since he's the backup, I would imagine that would send Joel Hofer back down to the minors, which gives you a little bit more cap space flexibility to possibly bring up uh, Scott Perunovich. But well, once Shen goes on, if he goes on LTIR, that's too, where that... Oscar Sunquist. And if Oscar and if Shen doesn't go on LTIR and they say, look, it's week to week with him and we're hoping to get him back next week. If it's week to week, though, you might as well. Get, I mean, even if it's an extra two days. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the way that you go about it. But the problem now is you can't try and send like a Kyle Clifford down to the minors because he'd have to go through waivers and you are so short of forwards because of this. Like Jake neighbors is playing in game number nine tonight. Yeah. They got to make a decision on him too. I wonder if that's part of this. Well, and that's it too. Like if you, if you don't have a good answer on Braden Shen and you also are activating Oscar Sundquist, you got some salary cap situations to think of, but you also don't want to be down a couple of forwards so you might be keeping Jake Neighbors solely off of the fact of the COVID scenario where you're in a bad spot. I think the most likely situation is going to be Braden Shen, possibly to an LTIR, which opens up all of that cap space. You, you, activate, you activate Oscar Sonny. Sundquist, and then once Kyle Clifford and Nico Mikola and Tori Krug come off, you still have that cap space available. And, and then when Braden back Shen's back, Perunovich too. exactly. And then when Braden, well, you might not need Perunovich by that time because of Tori Krug's back for you. Well, if this happens like tomorrow, for example. I would imagine Perunovic oh, yeah. is in the lineup on Thursday. I would imagine that as well. Even you know? if even if they don't put him on LTIR and they don't activate Sunquist, I still would imagine Perunovic will be called up because when Hofer goes down, that gives them a little bit more cap flexibility to where they can bring up Scott Perunovic. Yeah, he's he's the guy that I I want to see him on Thursday. He at got home another assist Nashville. last night with Springfield. I mean, he he's is, been outstanding. He's I forgot what he is honestly at right now, and I can look it up real quick. But he has been dominating the American Hockey League in the early portion of the season. And I just made all of the statements about how they're relying too much on their power play. But if you get Scott Perunovic up, he's going to give you a lot of what Ty- Tory Krug did on that power play unit. So suddenly it starts looking even better. Scott Perunovic is tied for the most points in the American Hockey League. He's played one game less than the leader who's got 16 points. Perunovic has two goals, 14 assists, 
and he he's a plus two on the ice so far this year as he's well. He's got 16 shots on goal wow. so far this season. That's just a freaking defenseman. So you have to get him up here, and I would imagine you'll see Scott Perunovich on Thursday. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 1218. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll ask JR what he thinks is going to happen with all of these roster uh, decisions that the Blues have ahead of them. Jeremy Rutherford at 1230. But coming up next... Mike Schultz's legacy, I do think, is tied to one thing in particular. I'll tell you what that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Round ball, Goldie to the plate. Goldie is hung up between home and third. The tag by Arenado. They get that out. And now maybe two. Back to Tommy Edmond. He'll throw to third. It's a rundown. Molina. Bader is in it. Dion tags him out. And they get out of it. It's unbelievable. That was one of the highlights of the season. The double play that... I will never forget with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Last night it was announced that Mike Schultz is one of three managers up for National League Manager of the Year. I don't think he's going to win it. It's him, Craig Council, and uh, the I'm drawing a blank Giants uh, manager, Kapler. Dave Cap, Dave Kapler as uh, the three options. I think Kapler is going to win it. Uh, if I had to guess, the expectations were incredibly low on on the Giants going into the season. They ended up having a miraculous year that they won the National League West. I think. He's going to win it. But that being said, it did make me think once again of uh, Mike Schultz time here in St. Louis and how we're going to remember it for the Cardinals. I think there is one thing in particular. If you're just talking about the way that Mike Schultz teams played that I will forever remember as being tied to Schilt, and that's defense. He the moment that he took over as the Cardinals manager put an emphasis back on defense because it had slipped in a big way at the end of Mike Matheny's tenure. And that was both because of the players that they were playing. They were using Jose Martinez at first base. They had some uh, less than ideal defenders out there in the outfield. It was a bad time for Cardinals defense. Mike, Matt Carpenter was starting every day on the infield. Oh, how could we forget? Mike Schilt took over. They placed more of an emphasis on on the defensive side of the ball. In part, that's why Randy Rosarena is no longer here, because they went with their better defenders over him, for better or for worse. And over the three full seasons in which he was the Cardinals manager, the Cardinals led all of baseball in defensive run saved. They were the number one team, not just in the National League, but in the sport. Better than the Astros, better than the Dodgers, better than the Rays. Those were the next three teams in defensive runs saved. So credit where it is due. When I think back to Mike Schilt's time, I'm going to think of the emphasis that he placed on the defensive side of the ball and how it got back to looking more like Cardinals baseball that I remembered before he was here. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of things that stick out about Mike Schilt's legacy, but that has to be number one. I mean, I remember everyone um, pining for Jose Oquendo to come back to the Cardinals when Mike Matheny was here because the defense was awful. And Jose Oquendo was supposed to be Mr. Fix-It. And frankly, he was in his career but you have to give credit where credit is due. Mike Schultz stepped in and said, we're going back to Cardinals baseball. We're going back to the George Kissel style that talks about defensive runs saved and how efficient defense is, especially in the infield. 
And, you know, props to the Cardinals front office for helping with that because they went out there and they got the first baseman that they needed to help in that area. They went out there and they got the third baseman that needed to help in that area. So, yeah, defense, of course, has to stick out with this. And that's the positive for Mike Schultz. Unfortunately, there are the negative legacies that are going to stick with him. And I think the one that everyone is going to remember is that he was too dedicated to his veterans. And I and the only reason I bring that up, not to be Debbie Downer, but I think that I think that will overshadow Mike Schilt's impact on the defense because that's what people will remember most. Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of with you because his biggest legacy definitely is the defense, but sticking with veterans is one thing that's going to kind of hold that back because a lot of people will view getting back to defense as just kind of what the Cardinals were supposed to be, and, and then they lost their kind of mantra until he came back and reinstated it. Playing the veterans, I think I'm with you, may hurt his legacy a little bit, but getting them back to defense, I mean, that's no easy task. I mean, for a team that's lost defensively, like the Cardinals were before Mike Schultz took over, I mean, it was pretty much an immediate impact. The moment he takes over from when Matheny's fired, yeah. you start to see the defense improve. He so playing different guys, yeah. and that's a big part of it. So you see the focus on the fundamentals, and I know that's nothing that's sexy to hear about, but I mean, that's important. If you can't do the fundamentals correctly, you have no shot to really be a winning team, and Mike Schilt made sure that they really implemented fundamentals on uh, playing good defense, being positioned well, and, and also going to base running as well, going from first to third and being effective in those decisions, because under Mike Matheny, the Cardinals were not very good at that as well, so I, I think he's going to be well known for his fundamentals, and that's a that's his legacy, in my opinion. And this is why you mentioned how he, he was good with the defensive side of things like uh, part of what I think we lose sight of as fans is looking at the greater picture of things what I mean by that is under Mike Matheny especially towards the end they were selling out for power in a big way and I do wonder how much of that was Mike Matheny saying I need more offense give me more offense give me more offense and he started playing those guys, and he would just find a place for him. I remember uh, you, you had Colton Wong in the outfield at, at one point in time. You had Matt Adams getting random opportunities in the outfield. Jose Martinez was playing first base. You had Brandon Moss. Uh, he was playing Dexter Fowler in center field all the time. Like It was just weird stuff was happening at the end where he was just selling out for offense. And then Mike Schultz got the job, and they started implementing more and more good defenders onto the team. And I do think some of that is because Mike Schultz wanted quality defenders out there. So the management, the front office said, OK, we'll give you better defenders. And the reason why I bring this up is because now I know their new manager has talked a lot about optimizing the lineup and finding those platoon splits. Well, you know what I guess I'm guessing the Cardinals front office is going to do. They're going to give him those pieces to be able to utilize. And so the front office deserves some criticism for the way that they've put together teams over the years. But one thing that they have done is they have. They have supplemented the team, the roster, with the types of players that that manager is looking for at that given point in time, for better and for worse. That that has not always worked out for them, but I do think that's part of it. So I think that is why when I hear a lot of people saying, yeah, but who do you want the manager to go out there and platoon? Well, I, I don't know. They don't have those pieces yet, but they didn't have them with the last manager in part because I don't think he was going to use them. And this new manager, I do think, will. And that goes back to your point, Alex, on... Uh, the negatives on Schilt, I think that's part of the negative. I, I don't think he was super open to those ideas. And I know there will some that there will be some who push, push back on that narrative. I, I just think that's part of it. But I did want to ask you, what do you guys think it would be like if he did win it? If Mike Schilt did end up winning National League Manager of the Year this year. So what awkward. Is, <laughs> what is the reaction? Like, if you're the Cardinals, what do you do? I guess you congratulate him. And then move on. I don't even know if you congratulate me. I think you just 
You omit that information. You do not acknowledge. You got to post something on Twitter. They right? just retweet no. it. They don't post. No. <laughs> they, yeah, they retweet MLB. No, they just like it. They give a little heart to it, and then that's about it. Do you do a quote te- tweet with a congrats, Shilty, best of luck in the future? No, I think <laughs> like, you do a quote tweet, and you say congrats, but we're looking forward to Ali Marmal winning his next year. Man, that would be that would be strange. I, I don't think awkward. it's going to happen, but that would be strange. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley, the junk drawer in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, I want to ask Jeremy Rutherford, what's he expect the decisions to look like over the coming days? Is Shin going to be here? Is he going to be on LTIR? When are we going to see Sonny again, and what do they do with Jake Neighbors? as tonight is his final of the nine-game tryout period. We'll ask Jeremy Rutherford about that next on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. I love this time of the year so much. We'll get to Jeremy Rutherford here in just a second, but John Heyman just tweeted this out. It's why I love the hot stove season so much. He says these 13 teams are said to at least be gauging the interest in the shortstop market. Talking about Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Javi Baez, and Marcus Simeon. Says it's Philadelphia, Detroit, Texas, the Yankees, Dodgers, Angels, Minnesota, Houston, Chicago Cubs, St. Louis, Colorado, Seattle, and Boston. Those 13 teams are at least, quote, gauging the shortstop market. Uh, The last two are, quote, surprising. But a couple of the shortstops also play second base, and there could be some positional changes that could be possible as well. Yes, because when I pay $100 million for a player, I love changing his position. They did it to Manny Machado. Fair, but you just slide him over to third. That seems a little easier. I'm guessing this would be maybe a a bigger change. There were teams last year, apparently at the deadline, that were interested in Trevor Story as a center fielder, which seems strange. Probably the Cardinals. 13 teams at least checking in on this market. I can go and go ahead and exclusively report Colorado's not signing one of them. I can report that <laughs> Philly ain't signing either of them either because they have no money to spend. So Mainly the Minnesota. Cubs, too. Minnesota, Minnesota, by the way, you could take them off yeah. the list as well. We've narrowed it down to 10. All right. <laughs> that means five teams are going to be left without a dance partner. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford talking blues with our Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and the Athletic. Jer, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Not too much. I'm going to finish up with you guys and go hit some ground balls to my son. Well, yeah. Shortstop market. Holy smokes. Right? Make yeah. sure he's a lefty, too. That that pays. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, we're doing really well. So there's some interesting decisions that are coming up for the Blues, JR. You've got Jake Neighbors playing in his ninth game tonight, which means that they'll have to, to make a decision on whether or not he sticks with the NHL club or if they send him down to juniors. You've got Sonny, who is now eligible to come back uh, from LTIR. You've got Braden Shin, who's dealing with the upper body injury. Maybe that ends up being more long-term, and you potentially place him on LTIR. Uh, update us with what you're hearing, what you're expecting with some of these decisions in the coming days. Yeah, let's try to do them in uh, bullet points here. Um, and then keep in mind that a lot of them are uh, connected. It's a lot of moving parts here. But the first thing we'll touch on is Jake Neighbors playing his ninth game today. Uh, Craig Ruby just had his Zoom call, and he said, look, overall, this kid's been uh, terrific, but it's going to be a learning experience. I go back to what Doug Armstrong said probably a week or two ago. They're going to do what's in the best interest for Jake Neighbors in the long term. If he's ready and it's not going to stunt his development by being in the NHL this year, then they'll keep him. If not, they're going to send him back to junior hockey. There had been some scuttlebutt in the past couple of weeks that the Edmonton Oil Kings 
were, uh, you know, thinking that they would get Jake Neighbors back. And so that was kind of the talk around the league. But now you have a situation with the Blues where you got a potential long-term injury to Braden Shen, which we'll get into in a minute. And you have the COVID issue that could pop up all season. So do you keep Jake Neighbors for that reason? As Doug Armstrong said, I think he has to keep that big picture in mind as his number one priority when making that decision. So we'll have to see how that plays out. With Oscar Sundquist, Craig Ruby did say about a week ago that the team has had a date in mind. He, he wouldn't reveal the date, but um, I thought it could be today. Today's the day that uh, he's technically eligible to come off LTIR, but it looks like it's going to be uh, potentially later in the week. So we'll see with that. And then you have Braden Chen. You know, he's been away from the team a couple games now, uh, but Doug Armstrong said no update on him until the doctors had a chance to reevaluate him, and there would be some news when the team returns from the road trip, so we'll find out with him. Now, tying all these together, like I said, you know, if you have an injury to Braden Chen and he could be out weeks, months, potentially, potentially, we haven't gotten to that point yet, you know, then do you keep a Jake Neighbors because you need him around? With the Sunquist situation, when they take him off a long-term injury reserve, they have to have a situation where they take guys off the roster to become cap compliant unless Braden Shen goes on to long-term injury reserve. So a lot of this tied into Braden Shen and what his injury status is in terms of how much cap space they have and whether they're able to keep Jake Neighbors around. JR, back to Jake Neighbors, because the other factor, and look, I understand making sure that you're doing what's best for Jake Neighbors, and if there's nothing else he can do in junior hockey, then he should stay here. But how much of that decision plays into the amount of depth that this team has that they might want to learn a little bit more about? And what I mean by that is Dakota Joshua, who has played really well in both the AHL and NHL level. They got Scott Perunovic, who I know is not a forward, Logan Brown, Nathan Walker. Does that play into into any of the decision you feel for Jake Neighbors? Well, I think uh, to answer that the best way I can is what Craig Bruby said today is, look, guys, the games where Jake Neighbors has played fourth line, they've liked him, but the score of the game, the time of the game, everything accounts for his lack of ice time in those games, and I don't know that that is going to help him develop. So if you can have Jake Neighbors stick around and perhaps he's in your your top nine and you believe that he can handle it for the bulk of the year and if there's going to be ice time available because Braden Shen's out of the lineup you know then I think that weighs in your decision but if you see Jake Neighbors as most likely a fourth line player the rest of the year when you do have the Dakota Joshua's and other guys that can come up from the minors and step into that role then maybe it is best to uh, send Jake back. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Uh, JR, with uh, Braden Shin being out right now, they're going with Thomas and Barbie as their second and third line uh, centermen. When Sonny does return, do you think he's going to end up getting opportunities at center, or do you think he moves over to the wing? Yeah, that's a good question. He was coming back not just from the knee surgery that he had when uh, he collided with Kyle Clifford. I guess I should say Clifford collided with him, right? <laughs> and uh, But not just the knee surgery, but he also had surgery on the two hips. And I'll have a story on Sonny coming up when he returns to the lineup. Uh, but uh, it's been a while, a couple of years, he said that these hips have been bothering him. And so, um, so his rehab was a little bit longer uh, because he had the two surgeries. And then also, uh, you know, he just wasn't ready at the start of the season. So when he comes back, BK, you know, you always look at a situation like that and say, you know, a lot of work involved in playing center, 200-foot game. Uh, you got to get up and down the ice. Perhaps they do uh, get him back in the lineup and watch his ice time. 
and, and put him on the wing to start out. But I think Sonny helps this team the most at center. And, uh, again, this ties into the Braden Shen situation. If he's out long-term, then I think we'll see Sonny in the middle sooner than later. Jared, what have you made from Pavel Buchnevich's game? Because, you know, he scores he scores a couple of goals in training camp and preseason. He looks good against the Colorado Avalanche. But ever since that the game against the Coyotes where he got suspended for the headbutt, he just hasn't looked like that impactful player that we all thought he was going to be. Yeah, third game of the season, uh, he has the headbutt in Arizona, and I, I just haven't noticed him as much. That, that's just, uh, I know it was early in the season, third game, it's not like he was uh, ripping it up the first couple games, but ever since then, it, it just doesn't seem like he's done a ton. Craig Bruby did say the other day that, hey, I had a talk with him, he knows he needs to be better, uh, and I think he's going to have a good game tonight. This was a couple games ago. He didn't do much that night, but the next night he did score a goal looked better I thought thought he played a little bit better but to me I just go back to he just doesn't seem as noticeable here's a guy who does a lot of stuff I mean he's he's heavy he's in on the four check he scores goals I think when I broke down uh, the Blues goal scorers this year I had him projected right up there with David Perron you know leading the team 27 28 goals and obviously he's not on that pace right now so so to me uh, Pavel Buchnevich needs to be more active and in the play that's what the Blues uh, got him for and I really haven't seen a lot of that lately final question that I've got for Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN you got Winnipeg tonight you've got Nashville on Thursday Carolina on the road on Saturday and then you've got Edmonton on Sunday this is a tough stretch for the Blues over the next four games what do you want to see from them we we've talked about a lot early in the season even when the blues were playing against quality opponents there were a couple of their best players that were out at times and then you did go through a little bit of a lull in the schedule of late what do you want to see from the blues against these quality opponents that are coming up on their schedule well, fortunately for them, BK, they're going to get their, a few guys back from uh, the COVID list. They got Ryan O'Reilly back the other day, and as Craig Ruby said after the game, you know, you could tell he was sluggish. I think the Blues' entire team, and perhaps it's because they've been without O'Reilly up until the last game, has been sluggish. Craig Ruby said after the, the game the other night that uh, they just played slow. You know, we weren't talking about this team playing slow those first five games. So they are without uh, a few players, and they're going to get these guys back. Fortunately, these COVID cases have been a little bit staggered, but the last of them you know once you talk about Krug and Mikola coming back you know in the relative near future and if you don't have any more cases maybe they get back to being that team but to me that's the number one thing got to play faster and they have to play more aggressive to where they're drawing more penalties I know the refereeing officiating hasn't been necessarily uh, probably up to the Blues liking uh, but in their last five games they're two two and one and in those five games they've only had one power play opportunity three out of those five games. You're not working hard enough, regardless of the officiating, if you're not drawing more power plays. They have a great power play. They haven't been able to use it because they're not playing that style of game. Jeremy Rutherford, find his work over at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at JP Rutherford. JR, you're the best, man. Appreciate you as always. We'll talk with you again next week. Thanks, boys. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Blues versus Jets tonight. We've got pregame coverage coming up at 6 o'clock with Alex Ferrario. Tomorrow night, you'll be able to hear the Last Minute Blues podcast right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. In 15 minutes, we're talking to Kylie McDaniel, baseball insider for ESPN.com. He was one of the guys that put out some projections over the last few days on what he expects contracts to look like. He, in particular, had a low estimate for Max Scherzer, three years, $90 million. If that is what Scherzer's getting, I would actually be interested in potentially seeing that here in St. Louis. We'll ask Kylie McDaniel what he thinks about Scherzer's market in 15 minutes. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. 
Mario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So, have you guys heard anything about SpaceX? Said Elon Musk. I believe so, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think it's his uh, his company. Is that right? Yeah, I believe Ryder, that's... SpaceX, that's the Elon Musk company, right? I believe that's correct. He's not correct. listening to us right now. I believe that's correct. So they are up in space right now. They're Makes at the uh, International in Space, space right Station, and they decided to leave on Sunday. They've been up there for a few months now. Um, they are spending 20 hours in the SpaceX capsule. I believe they returned yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. They had a bit of an issue, boys. They were up in space for quite some time, and unfortunately, they had a broken toilet. Okay. So on their way back down on this 20-hour journey, uh, they had to make do with what they had, which means no toilets on the way back into the Earth's atmosphere. I thought the spacesuits had, like, personal toilets in them. Well, they're going with diapers this time around. Those are expensive. Can you imagine being somebody that is... I mean, I would have to imagine if you're part of this expedition, you're one of the best at your job, right? Imagine if we were the best in the world at what we do at anything, baseball, uh, being a salesperson in there, uh, radio, whatever it is that you do in your life. Imagine being one of the best in the world. I'm I'm the best in the world at pest control. And then you have to deal with this on your way back down. I'm pooping and peeing on myself. Well, it's not on yourself, though. It's part of a SpaceX journey. It is. They've got there's gravity. You just let it float around in there. Or there's no gravity. You just let it float around in the space station. I can't imagine, man. That like you, sounds miserable. This is how you fix it. You have a desert. Alex, can you imagine for you specifically? No, no. I, I just would. I would hold it. I mean, I would have to imagine there's a little anxiety about coming back a down little. to Earth from space. Well, yeah, because then the gravity and kicks in, and if it's floating around in here, it's going to just push yourself out. This you, is Here's how you fix it, You've got it, the IBS that you're dealing with, Oh, it's with, horrible. Man. Well, you don't have dairy, which is a positive for me like lactose intolerance you stay away from that look you just designated a poop area on the spacex station and that is the corner of the station where you just go and let it float around yeah deuces are laid here make a yeah, sign exactly and then the other corner is number one's laid here <laughs> okay you got number threes you're not allowed to go you just got to get off the space station both at once right no it's the liquid number two. Oh, okay. I was unaware that that was a thing. By the way, uh, on the positive side of things. Is there a positive side of There that? is. The astronauts grew the first ever chili peppers in space, which they considered to be oh, a nice yeah. little boost. That's it. Have a chili pepper in space and then not have a bathroom yeah, to can, go to. I was about to say, can you imagine having, like, I wonder when they specifically were able to taste these? Because I would hope it wasn't the day before See, they left. Look, that sounds and, awful. And there are a lot of individuals out there that would love the opportunity to go to space. If, if Elon Musk called me up today and said, hey, you have the opportunity to go to space. I'm not in. No, you can pay me millions of dollars. I'm out. I could care less. Now, if I'm getting paid millions of dollars, I'm going, but I'm out. I'm not like I have no interest in going to space. Really? What is what is the, I can look at pictures of that. I, I wouldn't mind. It's a little different. No, it's not. It's, it's like not. It's the can, same thing. I can I look at pictures of what it's like to be in Big Sur, California. It's a little different when you go experience it yourself. Otherwise, what's the point of travel? I, I don't think so. I think it's it's nothing. I'm like, OK, I'll watch Star Wars and it'll be the same thing. I'm just I, too terrified of everything. I mean, I'm afraid of heights, but I would love to just go up in space, you know, be floating around zero gravity, see Earth from up above. I think that'd be awesome. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. BK, you're a runner. You can't tell me you haven't had an emergency while out running. Half and full marathoners just go in their clothes and throw them away in the porta potties at the end. So uh, I can tell you that I've never gone on myself. Is that what you guys do? 
I've never gone Ew. on myself. Have I had to go while I'm out on a run? Absolutely, and it's mortifying. Look, it's I am absolutely mortifying. I am the master of holding bodily problems in, but you can only hold it in to a certain extent. Yeah, if we're talking 20 hours, this is happening, boys, yeah. and we gotta find a spot. Yep. Side I, of the road, be I, damned. I we're... have gone number two or number three, I guess I should say, pretty much in every spot you can think of. On the side of the road, in a ditch, in the woods, next to a building, I've done it Other all. Other than in a public restroom, because we all know that is yeah. not a place no. that you're willing no, to go. I tell you what, man, when you gotta go, you gotta go, and you'll have to go into some dirty areas, pun intended. And I've done it. Tanner, what do you got for us in the joke show today, buddy? All right, guys, so you both have dogs. I have a dog. Now, imagine if you got the dog. Well, first off, did you guys get your dog when it was a puppy? Yep. Uh, one dog. The other dog that we adopted was like a year old. Okay, so imagine you get this dog. You're excited. You got a little puppy. You're training it and all that. And then you find out it's not really a dog. It's a fox. You oh, adopted that, a fox and it grew up. What and, does uh, the fox say? So this couple, this family in Lima, Peru... They had their quote-unquote dog named Run Run, which is a Run weird Run. name. That's a good name. And they thought it was really weird that Run Run started, like, you know, killing ducks and bringing them home. And uh turns out after a year or so, they found out it's not really a dog they adopted. It's a fox. I wonder how much they spent on that dog. Because yeah, some dogs adopt, can be super expensive. But if you adopt? I, I guess it potentially yeah, be Like, cheaper. if you buy a dog from a breeder, they're really expensive. It's but absurd. It's, I know. I got our... So, I don't, I don't promote buying dogs from breeders... I promote adopting, don't shop. But our first dog that we purchased from a breeder was a friend of ours, and it only cost us like 200 bucks, I think. But there yeah. are some dogs that cost like $1,500. It's insane. And I'm like, why are you paying that? I got our other dog from our adoption shelter, and it was $25, and we got a bag of dog food. <laughs> and he came with all of his shots. They actually ended up paying for it. Yeah, I'm dog. like, this is incredible. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of Better to Forget at 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you've got something you would like to throw in for Bet It or Forget It. But next, Kylie McDaniels put out a bunch of projections on what players will make in free agency this year. There were a couple in particular that were interesting to me. Max Scherzer, three years, $90 million. Marcus Stroman, three years, $48 million. If those are the projections for the starting pitching market, oh boy, we might be talking about the wrong market for the Cardinals to be in. We'll talk to Kylie McDaniel about that next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferro, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. We've been talking a lot over the last few days about what the hot stove looks like for the three weeks or so that we're expecting to have it before the lockout potentially begins. So we're going to continue to do so right now with our friend Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com. He's a baseball insider for ESPN. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Kylie, I always enjoy this time of the year, man. Love reading the work that you do over at ESPN, uh, in particular with some of the projections that we were able to read the other day. How are you doing today, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely thrilled to have you. So uh, one thing that I love doing is comparing some of the projections. You guys have them. Fangraphs does them. MLB Trade Rumors, The Athletic. We go through all of them and find out kind of what the expectations are for specific players. And one thing that I was able to kind of glean from your projections is it seems like you're a little lower on the pitching market in terms of what guys will be paid compared to some others. Is there a reason in particular for that in your mind? 
Uh, I found in general that there are a couple outlets, you named at least one of them, that uh, sort of habitually go to the high end of the range on everybody. Uh, <laughs> and then they look right a couple times and look silly a couple times. Huh. And it seems like I go toward the lower end of the range and I'm fine with like a Patrick Corbin coming up where everyone thinks he's worth 80 to 100 and he signs for 140. Like I'm fine missing that guy or Chris Davis or, you know, whoever it was that signed for one team with 30 mil ahead of another team or a team wanted to just grab him early. It's like I'm always going to miss that guy because I'm never going to guess the team and the player and the agent and how all that's going to come together because that's like an outlier situation. And I think some of the other uh, – projections like or like oh like you know the new york post thinks that like Baez is going to get 160 million dollars and i'm like i mean the mets could offer him that amount of money and i would look silly saying i think he's going to take a one-year deal i think it's like a 65 percent chance he takes a one-year deal so i'm going to go there and i think you know there's going to be a starting pitcher i think it'll be kevin gaussman that gets something close to that deck wheeler deal of uh you know five times 25 so you know 100 to 125 million dollars I think it's going to be him. I think Max Scherzer will get something sort of like the Trevor Bauer deal. And I think Robbie Ray having one good season in like the last six years <laughs> will have him a little bit below those guys. But like if the Washington Nationals want to redo this Corbin deal and offer Robbie Ray $140 million, then yeah, I'll look stupid. But like we don't know what the second offer was. So I'm kind of you know playing the odds a little bit. And I think sure. by doing that, I end up being a little on the lower side as just like the manifestation of my point of view. Well, Kylie, the one that really struck me was looking at Trevor's stories. And I'm just curious uh, of how confident you are in this and I understand you're, you're, you're gambling a little bit here but five years 115 million dollars I mean to me and to BK if that's what Trevor Story's looking at that makes all the sense in the world for the Cardinals yeah he was an interesting one I started the process with him a little ahead of Freddie Freeman I had Freddie Freeman at like 140 or so and then I had Story at like 155 uh, and then toward the end of the process uh, it was sort of made clear to me that like, Hey, Freddie Freeman's got a lot of support. There's a ton of pressure to bring him back to Atlanta. So maybe scoot him up to about 150, 156, somewhere in that area. And Trevor story had such problems throwing the ball that if you're going, if I'm going to be sort of uh, heavy on one of those guys, it's him. And if one of the guys projected for nine figures ends up signing a like one year, $30 million deal, and you don't think that's, you know, Baez, which I don't, I don't think he's a nine figure guy, but I, I guess somebody could, uh, but that story, there's a real shot. He has to settle for like one year, 30, 33 million, that kind of thing to prove that his arm is healthy and that he can play shortstop because I don't think there's any question that he can do the fielding part of it. If the throwing part of it is an issue, he might have to go that uh, Marcus Simeon route and go play second base for a contender, put up a huge season, prove that he's healthy, then hit the market, no QO, all that sort of stuff and do that. And so the way I sort of hedge that rather than, you know, saying there's some chance of a one year deal, it's a low chance, but some chance. And then I think he gets, you know, five, six years for roughly this or that is all right. There's like a little bit of hesitation in the market rather than five or six years at like, you know, 150 total. Maybe it's just a couple fewer teams up at that end of the market. Therefore, that will sort of manifest itself in maybe, you know, 20, 30 million off of what Freddie Freeman gets. So you can kind of I'd love to give you a sliding scale of like the percentage odds of different kinds of deals. But I got to pick one. So I picked that one. Knowing what we know about this Cardinals team and what you would be dropping this player into and assuming that this is the only big money deal that the Cardinals make this offseason, which I think is a fair assumption. Who would you rather have on the Cardinals next year if it does come down to a one year contract? Would it be Javi Baez or Trevor Story in your mind? I mean, I like the idea of taking a chance on a high variance hobby bias tight on a one year deal where if he, you know, he has no reason to feel comfortable that he can kind of do whatever he wants in terms of how big a swing gets, how slumps go, that kind of thing. 
So you want that kind of guy on a one-year deal. So he's always properly motivated to do what's best for the team and what will get, you know, all, all those sorts of things in the short term because he's going to get paid again in the short term. Um, but I think Trevor's story, uh, there's also, like, you know, maybe a little bit of concern about the core stuff, like, you know, some, some different small things there. Uh, I think he was the guy I would go after because I think all of these sort of intangibles and other things are there that he may well sign a short, again, a short term deal like Marcus Simeon play second base, even though he could probably play short without the throwing situation and then also excel. And that, you know, would also be sort of funny if Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story are in the same infield. Kylie, uh, a lot of people have talked on the national front of the blue are the Cardinals being more aggressive on the pitching market this off season. Uh, is there a pitcher that makes the most sense for you to sign or the Cardinals to go strongly after? I think they're incentivized in that they are not at the very tippy top of the sort of payroll measures where they can just sort of pick a guy and they can afford him no matter what to kind of wait for things to play out and see who is sort of treated seemingly unfairly. There's always going to be a guy that ends up coming in below what everyone's projecting. I am really interested in what goes on with Carlos Rodon. Uh, He and Clayton Kershaw were the two guys that I was talking about with agents and executives the last few days after the QOs. Because the implication is that the market for both of those guys is roughly three years at the same rate of the QO, which I think is 18 and a half. I've had them both projected at three times 17 or 18 million a year. And both of them didn't get offered the qualifying offer, which, you know, could suggest a couple of different things. With Kershaw, it could be because he's been there so long. They think they're going to resign him. They might have a deal done already. Like there's some circumstances there that could explain why that didn't happen. With Rodon, his deal went in the tank at the end of the season And this is his big chance to cash in. Like, this is probably where he's going to go try to find the biggest guarantee he can find and go after it. Um, And then if there's not a big guarantee, then sign a one-year deal. That one-year deal would probably be for about $18 And now, if he leaves, the White Sox won't get compensation. That suggests to me there may be a little more going on with his arm than people think. He may have to settle for a one-year deal. Maybe they they can get him for less than that. I mean, he was non-tendered last year. So I think he is the, you know, the best 2021 performer that may have to settle for less than 20 million guaranteed. And I think that may fit what the Cardinals are looking for. If we go down even a little bit from that market, or maybe it's not, and but maybe more assurances in terms of the innings that you're expecting out of your pitcher, because I think that's something the Cardinals are definitely going to be looking for this offseason. Uh, the guys that I kind of have circled right now are Stroman, John Gray, Anthony DiSclefani, who I know is a little high risk as well, and Steven Matz. Out of that group, that kind of upper mid tier starting pitcher. Uh, What are you expecting in terms of the market to be for those guys? And do you think they would make sense for the Cardinals specifically? Uh, Stroman is getting, and gray. I think are the two that I would pick out of that group for the Cardinals. I think Stroman also makes sense as a good athlete, fast arm, ground ball, durable. I think he checks all the boxes of guys. They typically will go after and will draft and also sign. Uh, Gray seems like he is the guy that all of the quote smart teams are going after that they think he may be a lot better than he was in Colorado, both because of coaching and the field. So I think he might be the guy that gets more than you think he's worth because teams think he is fixable and they want to lock him up for three or four years because the current perception of him is wrong. So we're going to buy low and not just give him a one-year deal because then he'll go somewhere else for a big number. We want to go, you know, maybe four times 15 or you know, go 50, 60 million on gray. Whereas I think Stroman, who took the QO last year, I think he might be, you know, I haven't projected right now at three times 16, so 48 million. I mean, it might be four years. It might be three years. It might be as high as 20 per year. It might be as low as 12 or 15. Like, I think he's, he's going to land in that area and he's not going to have a feeding frenzy for him. He is sort of like the, the unsexy, going to give you a high three ERA and a lot of innings. So I think he fits sort of what the Cardinals are looking for, but John Gray may be the guy that could look 
like a great deal later because I think a lot of teams are sort of pinpointing him as the guy that they think they can improve. Sticking with pitching market, but looking at trade options, Kylie, I did want to ask you about Jorge Lopez and Sean Manaya because it, there's been some reports coming out over the last 24 hours or so. The Marlins are potentially looking to deal from their pitching surplus. The A's are looking to apparently sell off everybody that makes more than like a million dollars. Both of those guys would fit into that category. How do you compare Lopez, Manaya, and obviously having to give up prospects in return for those guys compared to uh, some of that market that we were just talking about in terms of players that are available in the free agent market? I mean, I would always go to a guy you feel good about, like Stroman is a good example, a guy you feel good about for that contract and not a lot of risk in terms of, uh, of downside on the free agent market. When you have money to spend, you got payroll space. I take advantage of that. If one of these guys you think is available for, you know, you can, you can stay out of your top five to seven, like the impact prospects, bring him in cost controlled, and then you can go sign someone else uh, with that money. Then sure. Uh, Lopez, I think, you know, maybe cresting about as high as his value is. So the question would then be, are you, are you buying high? But he's you know, also 25 years old. Manaya has like pretty historically had some, some aren't issues and inconsistency hasn't quite given you what you think has been there. Isn't going to give you three straight years of 150 innings historically. That's a guy I'd be a little hesitant to really buy high on uh, Lopez. I feel a little bit better, but I would also say, you know, Stroman at $50 million would probably be my first move there uh, depending on, you know, how the rest of the offseason has to play, play out, or maybe the solution at shortstop is story and that eats up all your money. Then you have to make a trade. I would say Lopez may be the guy there. Kylie, final one for me. I think the one thing Cardinals fans are skeptical is this offseason and free agency, thinking that the Cardinals are going to be very aggressive in spending the open cap space that they have uh, from their free agents. How positive or high are you on the Cardinals being aggressive in this free agent market? Uh, I Like I said before, because they're not at the top of the market and they are close enough to the top of the market that they don't know what the teams ahead of them are going to do, the CBA is like a huge variable here, which is teams like the Yankees, the Red Sox that are just every year at the top. They don't, they'll have a, a bottom number. Let's say like the, the cutoff is 210, I believe, for the first uh, tier of the CBT. It'll probably go up, but it could go down. So I would not be surprised if the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, some of these big market teams are like, okay, you can spend up to 200. We think you could spend a 210, but in the event that goes down, you spend up to 200. Some of them, if they see a good value, may snap up some of those guys early. If they have three different scenarios of the offseason, they all include this guy. This guy's willing to take a good number. Let's take him now. Let's get him locked in. And if the CBT goes way up, then we got a steal. And then afterwards, it'll then be, okay, well, we got some luxury items. Do we want to get, you know, two years, three years on Andrew Chafin as like a second lefty in the bullpen? Those are the guys that'll have to wait. And I think the Cardinals are looking at if the CBT goes way up, the Yankees, the Red Sox, maybe Detroit, Seattle, Texas, some of these teams that think they're rounding the corner are going to be new entrants at the top of the market. If CBT goes up enough that the high-end teams have money to spend, the teams that are looking to spend money have to go a little bit higher. The upper and, and upper middle area of free agency market then goes up. I don't think it's very smart, and I don't think they would jump in and get in bidding wars there. And so they'll then have to sit and wait for to see who then comes to their area. If it's you know Trevor Story on a one-year deal or Stroman, you know some of these guys we've talked about coming a little bit cheaper. So all that to say, I think post CBA, which is probably at least February one, maybe as oh. late as March one, fingers crossed. I think that's when the sort of rest of the uh, of the Cardinals sort of free money will get freed up. And I know it's not fun for fans to be told you got to wait a few months to hmm. see what happens. But in reality, I think all but the biggest spenders, they're going to have to wait and see how this plays out economically. 
Oh, boy. February or March 1st. Oh, well, enjoy. BK's not going to be able to wait, Kylie. Yeah, enjoy the next three <laughs> weeks. Um, so I, I guess the last thing that I have for you, Kylie, and thanks so much for the time today. We're talking to Kylie McDaniel, ESPN Baseball Insider. Follow him on Twitter at KylieMCD. I, I have become, I have fallen in love with Josh Harrison and Matt Duffy because, of course, that's what you do this time of year. The Cardinals could really use some middle infielders who hit well against right-handed pitching. Both of those guys have done that in their careers as potential platoon options with Tommy Edmond in particular. What kind of market do you think players like that? Maybe it's not even specifically Harrison or Duffy, but players like that who can just hit righties well. What kind of market are you looking at for those kinds of players? I mean, if you're excited about Matt Duffy, I've got great news. These are the kinds of guys that we'll be signing before December 1. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, to be honest, I think the cutoff for like where will the action be before December 1, I think anybody below $50 million, if you get a good offer that you like, we've already seen a few guys like Andrew Heaney come off the board, it's above $50, $60 million where I think it's going to be only one or two guys will sign. And so obviously when we're, these guys are all you know one, maybe small two-year deals, those guys you mentioned specifically are like, you know, one year, three million, maybe maybe two times four, depending on if there's a market, that kind of thing. And those guys typically wait until the very end when you figure out like, oh, we didn't know that shortstop was on the market. We grabbed him. Now we don't need a utility guy. Our starting shortstop moved to utility, that kind of thing. So I think those guys will probably end up being late because they're just below, whereas that 20 to $50 million range is where you'll see some of the quick the quick action. But to answer your question, those guys are affordable to the Rays. They're affordable to everybody. I, I think you're talking, you know, 5 million guarantee tops for those sorts of guys. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I love to hear. Kylie, thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate it. As always, I would imagine you probably didn't expect to be talking Josh Harrison and Matt Duffy today, but we appreciate huh. it nonetheless. Oh, you love it. If you go to the Dominican during the Dominican Winter League, they're talking about guys that like are not the best player on their triple A team. And it's just like over every segment they're talking about Jordani Valdespin. So it's like you guys are you're you're up market from there. That's what I like to hear. Appreciate you, man. Talk to you again soon. Have a good one. You got it. It's Kylie McDaniel joining us here on 101 ESPN. You guys excited for Matt Duffy? No, stop asking about it. What about Josh Harrison? No. Can we talk about Marcus Stroman though? I love that. So Marcus Stroman's projections are wildly erratic, depending on where you look. Some places have him as a guy that could get $25 million per year on a five-year contract. Like, I've seen that places. Kylie McDaniels has it, Kylie McDaniel, rather, has him at three years, $48 million. 16 mil a year. If that is the market for Marcus Stroman, the Cardinals should be all over it and trying to get that signed now. Yep. Because he is exactly the type of pitcher that we're talking about. He is Steven Matz, but actually good. Like all of the things that I said about Steven Matz, where he pitches to contact, he's constantly in the zone, he's throwing strikes. uh, All of that applies to Marcus Stroman. But oh, by the way, he's a spectacular athlete. He's got a little velo and he's been legitimately effective and pretty consistent with those with those degrees of effectiveness. If he is legitimately only going to cost you 15, 16 million dollars per year. I would slide down on some of my other expectations throughout the offseason and just go get Marcus Stroman, who's going to be a legit number two for me next year. Yeah, I mean, I still think the number one priority is offense, and that's going to take a bulk of the money. And if you go sign Marcus Stroman, you're not going to be able to spend as much. Yeah, you probably are out of the shortstop market if you get Stroman. Maybe you can make a trade to get a big-time bat for yourself in the market like we had talked about, maybe a Cattell Marte or Jose Ramirez. But look, if you're not going to get one of those big bats... This would be the way that I would go. And frankly, I I know Max Scherzer is the number one priority, but people need to get that out of their mind. Marcus Stroman should be the number one priority because he makes the most sense for the Cardinals. Tanner, if you could get one of those free agent shortstops or you could get Stroman plus, 
I don't know, one of the better bullpen arms. Maybe it is Joe Kelly. We talked about him yesterday a little bit. Stroman plus Kelly versus one of those shortstops. And then in the in the shortstop decision, you end up going in the very lower tier free agent pitching market versus with the pitching option, maybe you do go get like the Harrison, Duffy, fourth outfielder kinds. Those are the bats that you add this offseason. Which version of the offseason do you prefer, the shortstop or the top end of the pitching market? I would prefer the top-end shortstop because I don't think you need the top-end starter. I think you need starting pitching, but I don't think you need the top-end guy. I think you need more of the depth guy like a John Gray, Anthony DiSclefani, someone like that. To me, you don't need an ace like a Marcus Stroman or a uh, Max Scherzer. Don't pay for those guys. Pay for that top bat that's going to impact the lineup and then go find the depth in the starting pitching market. And if you can't find it in the free agent market, you'll be able to find it at some point by the trade deadline. Yeah, that's the that's the play. I mean, that has to be the number one play. But if you miss out on all of these shortstop, if there are truly 13 teams fighting for five shortstops and you don't get Castellanos, you don't get Kyle Schwarber, then I think that's when you have to revert to this where you say okay well let's go just destroy the pitching market he's Alex Ferrario that's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up at about 10 minutes or so we've asked our guests about this today but there were a couple of reports that emerged over the last 24 hours on the A's and the Marlins both of whom could be of interest for the Cardinals talk about that in about 15 minutes or so but next 65780 is the air comfort service text line for better to forget it here on BK and Ferrario Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call it's BK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. That was just sad. That was a temper. That one felt sad. That was a, that was a that temper was one. 65780 is the air comfort temper. service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this. So somebody on the text line tweeted this at us, and I had not seen this previously. They, Credit they where tweeted it needs us to on go. the text line? They texted us this from the air comfort service text line. My apologies. Dara Gould on Twitter uh, has talked to John Mosaloc today, and the quote that stands out to me from this conversation that he had with John Mosaloc, Cardinals president of baseball operations, is, quote, most of our attention is going to be on the pitching side of this. Oh, great. We are also going to allow the offseason to develop, end quote. Okay, Better so- or forget it, the Cardinals' biggest offseason acquisition is a pitcher. By And by biggest, I mean the most expensive, most expensive guaranteed money. Yeah, I'll bet it. It also sounds like you're not going to be making any moves until February, until Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day will be uh, the move that the Cardinals make. Perfect time for me to fall in love with a free agent. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'm going to bet this one because it doesn't sound like Cardinals are going to be going after those shortstops. I'll bet it, but I don't think it'll be before Jan- February because I don't think... I feel like a John Gray or someone like that is going to sign before. Yeah, he also CBA said comes. in this article that over the next three weeks, they're business as usual. And they wouldn't have the big signings over the next three weeks anyways. Remember, John Mosaloc said December is the new November, and then it got pushed back to January as the new November, basically. I, I wouldn't expect the big guys to come off the market in the next month anyway, so I definitely don't anticipate that happening now. But I think the, the John Gray... Uh, Steven Matz, that range of pitcher. I, I could see some of those guys maybe sign this in this three-week stretch you know before what? the CBA expires. I think I'm going to switch my answer here. I'm going to forget this. I think John Mozeliak's throwing the curveball. I think he's making everyone think that he's not in on this shortstop market, and then boom, Trevor Story, two-year deal. It, it is interesting that he says we are also going to allow the offseason to develop. Yeah. It, it, to, to me, that comment That's signals 
Yeah. Hey, that's Mr. Ninety Five Percent. We're there. It played boom. out because he said this last year. He said we we ex- we don't have high expectations for the offseason. And then the boom trade for Nolan Arenado. It's See, like I, a I read this one this year as one of those. Well, we're in it, but our, our real hope is that someone falls through the crack, like we talked about. I think that's, they want a shortstop on a one year deal. I think the best case scenario for them in their minds, whether we agree with it or not, Alex, is a shortstop on a one year contract it. worth twenty to twenty five million dollars. I think they would like to see that be where they're at. We don't agree with it. Some of us do. Uh, I am. I'm going to bet it in that. I think the guaranteed money they spend the most that they will give out will be to a pitcher. I think they gave a multi-year contract to one of these starting pitchers, and it is for more than $30 million in total. I am. My out on this, though, is much like John Mosellock's. I think that it is possible they get one of these shortstops or a big bat on a one-year deal. I think that is, if this thing takes a while, if the CBA goes and it expires on December 1st and they aren't able to get back to work until, like, March, and that's when the freeze comes into or stops being in effect, there is going to be a mad scramble for players to sign somewhere to make sure they've got a, a good landing spot and I would not be surprised at that point in time if it actually works into the Cardinals' hands where these guys are looking for a place. The Cardinals are ready to be a winner. They've got uh, Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and these guys are looking around. And whether it be Trevor Story or Javi Baez, they look at the Cardinals as being a really good situation for a, a pillow deal. So I could see it. I will bet, though, that their biggest contracts they give out in guaranteed money is a Say it with me, T-Bone. Javi, Javi, Javi. No shot. Uh, got one for you guys. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will spend all of the money they came off the books this offseason. That's about $60 million. They forget spent it. what? $20 million. So this is important. They have already spent $30 million on Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright and TJ McFarland. So they got 30 left. I'm betting this 100%. No, they're not spending. They're not going to spend all 30 mil. No oh, way. I'd, I'd be stunned if they don't. No way. Absolutely stunned. If that's the case, then you probably sign one guy and that's it. Yeah, that, and then that's, a couple of mid-level guys. Even then, I think you'd get up to the close to I mean, if 30. you sign any starting pitcher, it's probably 8 to $10 million. So that's that's a starting point. If you're going to sign a bench bat, as he just mentioned, you're talking 2 to 5. And if you're signing any of these other relievers, 2 to $5 million per reliever. So you could, uh, in your scenario, Alex, where you're talking about you think they're going under, you're probably signing three to four players this offseason on the on the cheap. That is like the minimum that you could get them for. So I, I think they definitely go over. I'd be surprised if they don't, honestly. I think they're going to get back to their pre-pandemic spending. I think you, that's what you expect. I, where I, are you at on this? I, I think I agree. I, I, I would bet this. I think they'll get right up to, or if not pretty dang close to where they were spending because they still got guys like Luis Garcia, which they seem to have interest in. And I'm very curious to know what his market is if TJ McFarlane got two and a half or whatever it was, two million. Two. So I'm very curious to see what they do with him. I think they'll add a fourth outfielder. I think they'll add the depth starter. I don't know if they'll get the shortstop that they want. And then I, I do see them spending a couple more million dollars on relievers as well. So I think they will. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it. The Brewers will trade Hater this offseason. I'm going to bet this one. I, I think they've, they've hit their final their final flagpole of keeping him on this team. And, and I know you don't want to take a, sh- a shot to what your team looks like, but I wonder if they go sign somebody and then trade Josh Hader for some starting pitching uh, additions or maybe for some bench bats that could help them. But yeah, I'm going to bet this one. I think Hader's good as gone.
I agree. I think I'm going to bet this one, and I think he's a guy that could end up in Philadelphia. Team that needs some relief help. Their bullpen has been terrible. I think that the Philadelphia Phillies, I don't know what they have in terms of what they could give up for him. I don't know if they have the starting pitching is what Milwaukee may be looking for, but I do believe that they're going to move him. Would Didi Gregorius make sense for the for the Brewers? Where are they going to play him? Not really, because you got Willie Adamas. Yeah. Colton Wong. You could play him at, uh, yeah, Wong at second. third. Him. Bump and him over to third? I don't know if he's really a good third baseman. Oh, I, I know he's probably not a good third baseman. He's not a good shortstop either. He could be a good uh-huh. DH, but he, the problem is bringing him in, if I'm not mistaken, he makes $15 million. What about the Angels going after Hater? That would make sense. That'd make a ton of sense. Uh, and they got, I mean, they got prospects that they could trade. I saw earlier today there was a report that the pitcher, the the top priorities for the Angels yeah. are starting pitching, relief pitching, and more, more pitching, pitching, and then a shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> Their top four is really just add as much pitching as you can. So they would make a ton of sense. I'm with you guys. I'm betting this as well. I don't think Hader is going to be on the Brewers next year. I know we got a text from the 618. Every year you guys end up trading Hader. Yeah, sounds yeah, about but, right. This time they are up against it. This time it'll actually happen, Tex. This time I'm 95% sure that Josh Hader will be traded in his career. This is the only year where it has made sense to do so. He's got two years left on his contract at this point in time. He is legitimately now getting expensive. He's going to be $10 million is the expectation for him going into next year. And they have no space to be able to improve their roster if they don't make a move like this. So I think he's going to end up going elsewhere. And man, when you look around the central right now, The Reds are hemorrhaging money. They are just shedding salary in every way that they possibly can. Luis Castillo is apparently available. Um, The Cubs are tanking right now. The Pirates are just in pure tank mode at all times. If the Brewers also trade Hayter and they get a little worse in their bullpen, it is right there for the Cardinals. They've got to be aggressive this offseason because of all that. Or they say we're going to get in no matter what because the NL Central sucks and we'll stick with what we got. There is that as well. Six five seven eight. never done that before. 65780 is the air comfort service text yeah. line for bet it or forget it. Um, final one here. Bet it or forget it, Sonny will end up being the third-line center uh, long-term whenever he returns from the LTIR. Sonny will be the Blues' third-line center. Not where I thought this question was going. I thought we were talking about Sonny Gray for a second. Uh, I'm forgetting this one because I think he's going to be a second-line winger for this team. I think think your third-line center for the rest of this season. Who's taking their spot? But this question was for the rest of this season, for the long-term. For the rest of this year, yeah. When Braden Shen comes back, Shen's going to go to the set, the center, sec, second line center. Thomas That's will fair. drop down to the third line center, and I can see Oscar Sundquist playing on the wing with Braden Shen and Jordan Cairo, and then Thomas playing with Tarasenko and Pavel Buchnevich. Damn, this team's going to be really good whenever they're healthy. Well, and these COVID protocols that have been updated, and if you missed it, NHL and NHLPA updated it according to Frank Saravalli. That might benefit the Blues in terms of this Tory Krug thing. If he's if he's asymptomatic or if he's not having minor, if he's having minor symptoms, you might be able to get him out sooner than what you thought. Final thing here, better to forget it. Odell Beckham will be a Packer after he clears waivers today. This came comes from Jordan Schultz. Uh, he's an NBA reporter. I don't know he's how an he NBA got this. NBA reporter. But what I, the? is there a Beckham, Packers team in the NBA? Odell Beckham is represented by LeBron James's agency. So I'm guessing that's where this comes oh, from. That makes sense. He put out this report on Twitter. Odell Beckham Jr. has prioritized the Packers as his number one destination. If he were to clear waivers, why, why not? Because the biggest uh, blank show right now is Aaron Rodgers. So OBJ is like, I'll fill right into this. Better to forget it. He's a Packer by the end of the week. I'll bet this one. 
if he's picked his spot and he's saying, I'll play for the minimum, I want to win a Super Bowl, they'll sign him. Do they want him? Why wouldn't you? Because he's Packers, a mess. man. Why? What does it matter? I'll, I'll like, Rodgers is a bigger mess than OBJ right now. I'll forget this. I, I think the fact that Rodgers had this kind of it, this blow up with the Pat McAfee show, I, I think that the Packers are no longer going to say, hey, we're here to happy, try to keep you happy, stay around. They'll say, you know what? F it. We're not, we're trading you next offseason. Let's keep, we'll just keep Devontae Adams. You don't need the support. We'll let OBJ go elsewhere. And let's be honest, he is a mess himself. If Aaron Rodgers comes to the Packers and say, sign this guy, they're signing him. I'll forget it. I'm going to forget it as well. I don't think he's a Packer. I don't you think both the Packers are, will You sign both him. are incorrect. With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylo. Cross things over with the fast lane in about 15 minutes or so. But next, there are two teams who stand out as potential trade destinations that the Cardinals could target this offseason. We'll tell you who they are next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. We find out which of the teams are trying to shed salary and who are the other teams that are going into a little bit of a reset. And this year, there are two in particular that have started to emerge. The Oakland A's, according to reports around the major leagues, including one from SNY up in New York, uh, they appear to be looking to move, quote, several players as a part of a reset going into next year. That very well could include Matt Olson. It could include Matt Chapman. And most notably for the Cardinals, it might include Sean Manaya, a third year arbitration eligible pitcher who is 29 years old and is go expected to make around 10 million dollars this year the other team alex that could be of note for cardinals fans is the miami marlins there was a report last night that apparently the marlins are interested in moving some of their pitching depth to be able to acquire position players that could help them in the future we'll trade marcelo zuna for sandy alcantara yeah sandy alcantara was listed as one of them he's going to cost so much I can't imagine what they're trying to Why look for in return. Why would you try and move a guy who was in Cy Young conversation? But realistically, they're probably not going to, would be my guess. Because um, nobody's going to pay the price for it. Correct. Yeah, they're not going to match what the the Marlins are looking for, but there's no harm in asking for it. Yeah, what do you think that price would cost? For the Cardinals? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, Gorman and Levator? Yeah. Maybe, probably more. I would probably say Gorman, Herrera, Herrera. And then I would probably throw in probably two, three more prospects because they want someone that they said position players. So I don't know if they would look at pitching necessarily. I mean, Walker or Wynn would probably be Harrison Bader. What are you trying to do here? I'm just trying trying to to win. I'm just trying trying to win, boys. I'm sorry. Yeah, realistically, he's just not an option for the Cardinals. But Pablo Lopez could be. Uh, Pablo. Lopez is a right-handed pitcher, um, and he's been super effective when he's been on the mound. The problem is he's one of those guys that's five and dive. He gets in there for five innings, and he is out of there quickly. You're not probably putting him through the third time through the order. I'm not all that interested in Lopez because I don't think he provides the innings that the Cardinals are looking for, but he's 25 years old. Steven Maths. He, he's the innings eater. Uh, he is 25 years old. He's going to be 26 next year. He had a 3-1 ERA. He was super effective, but he only threw 102 innings last year. He's never thrown more than 110 innings in any MLB uh, season. I don't know that that's the route I would go, but these are the two teams, the A's and the Marlins. If you're a Cardinals fan, keep an eye on those teams if you're looking for a potential trade this offseason. Tanner, you disagree with me, though? You think Pablo Lopez is is an intriguing I, uh, option? I think he is because I think he's a potential, just a five starter for this team, and I get it that he doesn't eat the innings up, but 
man, if he's healthy and he has his stuff on, I've seen him pitch. He is impressive. He has electric stuff. I, I think he's a guy that would be worth taking a risk. He's not going to be that that expensive in terms of going to acquire him. I get it. He hasn't been the innings eater, but he's someone that I think stays healthy, work on developing him. He comes in here and he works with Mike Maddox. I think you have a potential of a guy that could be a steal of the offseason if you were to go acquire Pablo I mean, his Lopez. advanced numbers are wildly effective. He's he, unbelievable. He's he's really impressive uh, in basically every way. He just doesn't need innings. And I guess this is a question of what are you prioritizing? Do you, do you need a guy that can project moving forward as a potential number two? Or do you just want a guy that's going to get you through this year and throw you 170 innings? Because that's probably not going to be Lopez. But the innings that he's out there for, he is super effective, man. He's probably, in terms of talent, he would come in and be behind Jack Flaherty of what they have right now. Jack Flaherty, and that might be it in their starting rotation next year. He might be your second most talented starting pitcher next year on your roster. So I guess it depends what you're prioritizing. And I think that's worth a flyer. The problem is, is do you want to put him in because he's another injury risk guy in terms of the guys that you have now or basically your whole rotation is a big question mark. I think he would be worth it. I don't think the Cardinals would actually do it because, like you said, he's not an innings eater. And the fact of the matter is that he, he's got health questions, too, and I just don't think you want to put this into this combination. But if you had, if we were coming into this offseason and you had a full, healthy Dakota Hudson that you were 100% sure of and a full, healthy Miles Michaels that you were 100% sure of, absolutely, Pablo Lopez would be the guy heading into this year. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I'm out on him, too, because he's not a lefty. I, I think it's important to get a lefty into this rotation, especially losing KK. And I know you got Levitor, but I don't see him being a part of this rotation in the early portion. So if I'm giving up prospects, which I don't want to do right now, especially with free agency and the amount of money you have, I, I need a lefty impact pitcher rather than a guy on the right side. I think I'm with you. And the other thing is, I just don't know that I want to give up on some of these prospects, especially if the Cardinals are going to go the route of they're adding more pitching this offseason as opposed to one of the position players. If I'm giving up a guy like Nolan Gorman, for example, I need to have that shortstop ready to go because I need to have my infield ready for the next three years at a minimum. And if I'm giving up Gorman and going out and getting more pitching on top of whoever I acquire via one of these trades, I don't know, man, that's probably not the route that I would prefer to see them go. And I do think Gorman would have to be involved in some of these conversations. If you're going to get a stud pitcher who's 25, 26, 27 years old, you're probably not getting him without a guy that is getting ready to be ready for the big leagues and projects as a legit starter the other thing and i don't think you would make this move to do this the other thing for me is i think pablo lopez will because of injuries and stuff like that i think he projects more as a bullpen guy moving forward i think he'd be a very interesting guy if you brought him in maybe start him a while and if things don't work out shift him to the bullpen and that is what i don't want to find out like i i don't want to find out oh i traded all of these good prospects for a bullpen arm yeah. can't have that happen he's alex ferrario that's tanner hendrickson and i'm brandon kyle we'll cross things over the fast lane coming up next time now for the crossover on 101 espn Hey, if you 
missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. I thought Keith Law was excellent today. Talked a lot about the options for the Cardinals for this offseason. We also got got to catch up with Jeremy Rutherford, who I understand will be on with the fast lane from four to six. And Kylie McDaniel was great talking about some of the pitching options for the Cardinals this offseason. And right now we might continue that conversation. We got Brad Thompson in studio with us for a few minutes to cross things over. What's going on, BT? Well, it's your birthday. That's what's going on. Happy birthday. 29 of them I've had. And I feel like I can feel every one of them right now. Why is that? I don't know what happens, but I think you hit a wall when you get to like 28. That's that's not correct. It's not. No. If you're hitting a wall at 28, you're doing something wrong. I can tell there's a difference from where I am right now compared to like five years ago. Maybe is it, is it because all you do is sit behind a microphone and talk all the time? Like Could that's be that. kind of just been the full on job instead of doing a lot of different things. Could be that. I'm not sure that this is the healthiest gig in the world. Oh, like you're like, <laughs> you think? you're super in shape. And actually, like looking around 101 ESPN, I think that we're doing pretty well relative to some other places out fair. there. Uh, but I don't think that this is up there high on the list of like, like, ah, look at him. He's in such good shape because he talks. Nope, uh, not in good shape for that mentally for your mental health. I, I would say it's probably one of the worst jobs you could possibly have. What do you mean? Uh, people are mean. People yeah, are... but you got to filter those out, right? <laughs> no, no, like... no, no, I'm with you. I, I At this point in time, if it bothered me, like, I couldn't do this any longer, but I would imagine there are a lot of people that go into this that uh, that expect it to be a whole lot of love that you get on a day to day basis. Let's see what they're thinking about me. <laughs> no, oh, do not Google your name. Do not Twitter search your name. <laughs> do not look at the text line at all times and take it to heart. You like know, it, it can be a little grueling. You know what is funny about that too, and there are some great ones. We get so many nice texts in every 100%. day to, to the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. But it's funny, like every once in a while there will be one, and they just keep poking, right? Just keep poking, and every once in a while. I'll, I'll throw something back. And then it'd be like, ah, I love you, BT. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Listen all the time. It's like sometimes people just want to troll to troll. Absolutely. And sometimes uh, people are just asshats. And you kind of filter those ones out and you go from there. But I, I like to believe that there's less of those out there. The other thing is that we've just, I think sometimes we all need to remember that Twitter and the text line is not real life. When you meet most of these people in person, like anytime we actually go out to a place. Things. Yeah, they're pretty nice. <laughs> they, they seem to enjoy our show. Oh, uh, maybe they're just full of it, but uh, they seem to enjoy it a lot more when they're in person than they do on the text line to 65780. So that's where that is. I did want to ask you one thing in particular about our conversation with Kylie McDaniel, because a guy that I'm super interested at this price is Marcus Stroman. What's the price? So he had him projected at three years and $48 million. Sign me up. I, there are other places. Per, I'll take that. There are other places that have him at like five and one twenty-five. So there is a wide range of thoughts on where Marcus Stroman could be. If he is in that range, though, I feel like he's the perfect Cardinals pitcher prospect. I agree. We've been kicking around Marcus Stroman for a while, and the reason that, that the conversation tends to go nowhere is generally the price. Like, Because you look at what the Cardinals have, and then you, you look at the style of pitcher Marcus Stroman is, and generally when you're talking about $15, $20, 25000000 million, depending on where you're looking at, at the price for Stroman, those are usually like swing and miss. Like mm-hmm. You're paying for all the strikeouts, sheer dominance. Marcus Stroman can dominate at times, but he, he's he, that's not his MO, he gets contact and he pitches to a defense. 
if only there was a team that had a great defense. No, I like I love the idea of Marcus Stroman. I just wonder if the Cardinals will look at at Marcus Stroman like that 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 type of pitcher and say, okay, well we can find Marcus Stroman light and find the guy heavy. Yes, congratulations, dude. dude I, I was I was doing the same same research this morning that you were probably doing. I'm all over like baseball savant. Yep. I'm looking at the most sinker usage and I'm looking at like Matt's popped up pretty quickly. It's his closest comp is Adam Wainwright. Perfect. <laughs> like, okay, that makes sense. Marco Gonzalez, Adam Wainwright, and Juan Nicasio were the top three comps for him and the way that he pitches. It's like, oh, those guys all have one thing in common. They used to be or are Cardinals. Well, the, the, the Cardinals told you, and I, I guess it's easier to do this when a guy already has a relationship with you and he pitched so well, but the first move they make this offseason for a free agent is TJ McFarland. Yep. They bring back a, a sinker baller that, uh, you know, is throwing 88, 89 miles an hour, but gets a over 62% double or a ground ball rate. So that's what they're trying to do. So Marcus Stroman certainly fits into that, but does 15, 16 per right. on the low end, does that fit in? But at three at three years, like you have a legitimate top-end option there with Marcus Stroman. Yeah, it, it makes the all the sense in the world. It just depends on like there's there's guys all in this same spectrum, and it's a matter of, hey, do you want the guy that does this for $18 million? Do you want the guy that does this for 12 Or do you want to go down here? And there are different ranges and different risks associated with it. Guy that gets $6 million, maybe there's an injury there, or he had a terrible year last year, and you've got to rehab, whatever it might be. Yeah. But there's a bunch of guys in that spectrum that are all similar pitchers, just a matter of what you can expect from them and what the certainty is on the back of that baseball card. It's where you trust your people, right? You trust your evaluators. You trust the people within your organization. Can they fine-tune that pitcher that had the down year and turn him into the one that has the great year? BT, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? Well, Jamie's nervous. i got to be honest with you. Just full disclosure between me and you, Jamie Rivers is nervous because Jamie is doing his first telecast tonight on Bally Sports Midwest. He is the analyst. Oh, it's really? Him, John Kelly, Winnipeg Jets, St. Louis Blues, and my guy's a little bit nervous, so we're going to loosen him up for a couple of hours before he takes off at 4 o'clock. That's awesome. I can't wait for that. Can't wait to hear you guys from 2 to 6 here on 101 ESPN. Brandon. Searching for the perfect gift idea for that hard-to-buy person on your list? The Allbirds Wool Runner is a natural fit. The Wool Runner is super cozy, super comfy, and super giftable. It's made with ZQ-certified merino wool, a naturally cozy material that offers next-level comfort and a lower environmental impact. The cushioned midsole and versatile design offer all-day comfort in a classic style you can wear every day, even in a winter wonderland. And its fully machine-washable construction makes it easy to keep your shoes looking like new. Allbirds shows off the Wool Runner's carbon footprint right on the shoe so you can see the difference for yourself. On top of that, they actually offset that carbon footprint to zero, making the Wool Runner completely carbon neutral, so you can stay cozy and tread lighter on the planet. This holiday season, give tidings for comfort and coziness with the Allbirds Wool Runner. Discover your perfect pair at Allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today.